Hello and welcome to episode 69 of the Movies in a Podshop podcast. The podcast where we take a theme. And this week's theme is silent to talkies. As always, I'm joined by him. Um, oh, does Piggy like that? Um, <laughs> uh, you can call him John. Hi, I don't actually know what that's in relation to. Oh, yeah, no, I do. I, I've just remembered the scene. Thanks for that. It's at the beginning of um, the film. We're gonna, the first film we're going to talk about this week, which is Babylon. Um, yeah. It's a film where um, <laughs> there's a woman standing over a man um, doing something. Anyway, um, I just thought, like, I... <laughs> episode 69, John, can you believe it? Ooh, naughty. Sorry. I'm the... The, the thing is, right, I'm, I know I'm a child. Well, I'm not. I'm nearly 35, but I'm never going to have the chance to do that ever again. Because we only get I, one episode 69. It is actually wild we've been going this long, though. Every time I'm like, man, here it we is. are. Yeah, it is. The podcast or as human beings, <laughs> is, uh, I wake up every day feeling like that. Life in general. No, podcasts for sure. I think it's quite in, quite impressive we got this far down the line. Oh, it's amazing. And this is our last ever episode. episode. <laughs> it's not, it's not, it's not. Um, do you know what? I, uh, yeah, off, mate. Yeah, the, 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 the podcast and just in general, every day, every day, when my alarm goes off and open my eyes, I'm like, another day. I've got to go and got to go to work, and I, um, and then in the weekends, I'm like, oh, amazing! I get to watch some films, and then I blink, and then it's over, and then I'm back at work on Monday, and then here we are. But yeah, and I agree, John. We are. We've done 69 episodes, and I can't quite believe it because, do you know what? Did I hear? I don't know. If, forgive me if I've talked about it, spoken about it on the pod before, because it's boring if if I have, but. Someone was like, wrote into this podcast, the regular podcast I listened to, and they were like, oh, like, I really, I really want to be a podcaster. Look at me stroking my Mac. And um, I really want to be a podcaster. Like, like, can you, have you got any tips? And this podcast is quite big. And the, uh, the guy that hosts the podcast was like, the tip is this. Just don't do it to get famous because no matter, like, one, it's, it's just luck. It's like a lottery if you're going to get big or not, whatever. Like, and that, that's not why we do it anyway. Um, and two... Um, you've just got to be really, really good. And three, the biggest advice I could ever give you is just simply make podcasts because the amount of podcasts that stop after like five episodes, and we said this, didn't we? Because I don't think you actually, we, we started doing this in lockdown where we arguably did have more time, I guess. Um, definitely, definitely. And now when, when someone says to me like, how, how many, how long does it take you to do a podcast? I'm like, well, this, let's say the average film is like two hours. So like, two hours for two films. So that's like maybe like average four hours or slightly under. It's, and I reckon it's more, it? I reckon it's five hours film watching oh. about two and a half hours ish record and then edit. And it's got quicker because we've got Riverside. Every, but um, he's, you des you're desperate. It's <laughs> pathetic, John. You're desperate for a sponsorship. Give us so a sponsorship. at the price of that Riverside. <laughs> but you know what? Worth the money, worth the money. Um, so yeah, yeah, so you've got those that time as well, and then the research as well. Like I say, I say to people sometimes, I'm like, when we're going to record, we'll have watched the films, and then some. I've got to sit, I'll go home from work, and then I'm just sitting there like researching, watching directors' commentaries, or listening to them while I'm cooking, and doing like background research. There's so much research. Watching and, video uh, essays. There's usually a fair few video essays to go out these days. Yeah, as well. watching video. Different like opinions. That, exactly. Um, re, I, I bought a Silent to Talkies book. Um, <laughs> Ask me if I read it. <laughs> I tried. Um, but it's, it's crazy, like, because it, it, it is a lot of work. And I think that that's what a lot of people don't 
probably don't understand. So I would also give that same advice, like to get to episode 69, like you boys. Um, oh God, that's such a famous house. Sick in my mouth. Like, Jeez, he's four minutes in. We've not even talked about what we've watched. Come on, Jamie. What have we been up to? What have we been watching? Do you want to go first this week? Because you've actually got stuff to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> so I've actually watched things. Um, his, his little girl. His little girl's getting older. And now <laughs> he just, what he can do is he just leaves her in the house while he goes to cinema. Not, does not happen. So I've been watching some things. Um, I went to go and see Wonka at the cinema, starring Timothy Chalamet. And I'll be honest, I actually really enjoyed it. It's I don't think it's particularly marketed at me. I like the original Willy Wonka. I don't really know many people who don't, to be completely honest. And it's the director of Paddington 1 and 2, mm-hmm. which I actually really enjoy as well. And it's just, it sounds a bit like cheesy, but it's just quite a charming film. Like, I don't think it's an amazing film. It's just quite charming. I love the cast in it, though. Um, there's a load of English comedians from like 2010 onwards, which is very much my era. So you've got Olivia Coleman as one of the bad guys, Mrs. Scrubbit. She's with Tom Davis, who plays Bleacher. Um, Patterson Joseph is um, Mark's boss in Peep Never Show. Plays oh, Slugger. sorry. You were and explaining who he was. Sorry. So, <laughs> so funny. Like, okay. Um, so it is a musical. And Matt, sorry, Matt Lucas is in it as well. And there's a few sequences Hugh where Hugh, Hugh Grant's in it as well. Yeah. It's just like, yeah, It's if you like Paddington, you, you won't be disappointed. It's very much a similar thing. But I think Paddington's far more quintessentially, quintessentially British, whilst this is a kind of a mix of American and English. It's kind of like half American cast, half UK cast. Yeah. But it's quite English humour at a lot of points. And Rowan Atkinson's in there. I always love seeing Rowan Atkinson yeah, doing his stick. What's your favourite comedy ever, isn't it, Mr Bean? So. <laughs> so, so, yeah, no, I really enjoyed it. And it's one of those where we listen to it at the cinema and there's a few tracks that are from the original film that are like sprinkled throughout is there okay yeah 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 and then it kind of you have light motifs which build to those pieces that we know yeah so it's really nice hearing what do you get when you guzzle down sweet i did that on the last episode hugh grant as well yeah all i've got is one and one note one note wonder but um yeah really just just a really nice film i mean yeah, I think when it comes to streaming, it's worth checking out. Um, but it's it's just fun, and like what I, like I said, the the music's just been really earwormy, and it's stuck in my head for like the past two weeks since I've seen it, and it's very rare I feel that way. So that's been cool. Um, and then the other film I went to go and see, I actually did the on you know on Apple you can pay for the early access when it's still at the cinema, but you pay like a cinema ticket fee. Um, Five hundred quid. No, it was £15, which is what Disney did in COVID for watching uh, Cruella when it came out. So I watched the latest Hunger Games film, which is called The Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. Now, full disclosure, Jamie takes the mickey out of my obsession with Hunger Games. To clarify, uh, my wife is obsessed with Hunger Games. I absolutely loves it and loves the world. And it's a film series we pretty much rewatched every year, pretty much since I've known her. But um, I hadn't read the book of The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, so I went into it completely blind. And I really enjoyed it. And if you don't like the previous Hunger Games films, I don't feel like there's anything here that's going to particularly get you into it more so. But what I do think's like better in this is Jennifer Lawrence is fantastic in those films, as is Philip, Philip Seymour Hoffman, as is um, Donald Sutherland. Yeah. But around them, there's some, mm, like, okay, or like, you know, so-so. Woody Harrelson. In- 
I can't believe Woody you didn't Harrelson's mention him. No, he's good in it. So do you know what? I'm being harsh. There's there's far more good people than not so great people. But in this film, I thought Rachel Ziegler was so good. So she's yeah. very different to um, Jennifer Lawrence's character. She's um, essentially travels around the districts and gets caught up in one and then gets put forward for the Hunger Games. Mm-hmm. But the whole it's uh the the pre-story of why snow is the the bad guy in hunger games films and essentially you find out through this film like how that comes to pass and he's sent to look after lucy gray to get her through the hunger games and she's a musician so there's a lot of music in it musical motifs you'll know from the other hunger games films and how that feeds into the folklore and stuff so yeah I really enjoyed it, and as this you is so tell, weird because I've, I've heard like such bad things about yeah, it. Yeah, it's like, well, it's it's too long. I think it's 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 two hours and forty minutes for a Hunger Games film. Yeah, and and to be honest, it's a lot of world building stuff. But I tell mm. you who else in it who's brilliant? Vi- Vi- is it Viola Davis or Viola Davis? Yeah, I Viola like, Davis. Yeah, she yeah. is so good in it. She plays okay. like essentially a mad scientist who comes up with the traps for the Hunger Games, but she's mm. just chewing scenery and loving it. But yeah, it is. It's. It's one of those films where, like, you know, in Snyder Cut, where it's like part one, Reckoning, part two, this, part three, part four. Yeah. So it has that within it in this film. So yeah. it's kind of like before the first Hunger Games, not the first Hunger Games, before 10th Hunger Games, sorry, like during and what's going on. And then there's a section after and about the consequences of that. So yeah, it is. Yeah, it is long. But I'll be honest, as a someone who I would consider as a fan, it just didn't particularly bother me. I enjoy that world. I enjoy seeing it in more detail. So it's really good. Big shout out for Tom Blythe. He played uh, Coralina Snow. I felt like he had enough of in it to look or feel like Donald Sutherland would he yeah. grow up into him, a bit like Hugh McGregor with Obi-Wan. Mm-hmm. But again, final point, Rachel Ziegler was just so good because... I think it's her singing in real life. I hope it's her singing in real life, but she's just like no. I think it would be because it's great. Yeah, she was in um, she was in West Side Story, the 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 new one. Oh, she with, was from sorry. Spielberg. And, and I think she that's Snow White as well. I think maybe I wouldn't like to say because uh, I don't know. Um, it's funny. Uh, you you have just reminded me because you mentioned Snyder because you you can't help yourself. Uh, uh, we had a comment. Thanks, thanks for the lovely comments last week. We had a comment. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh. I'm not gonna. Do you know what? No, one no, of them went. One of them done really. We, we we had a really good short that did really well on YouTube, and that that does remind me actually. Like like if you whoever's out there, please pause the pod. Not right mm. now, but after I've said this, then you can pause it. We really really need you to subscribe to the YouTube channel. It's mm-hmm. movies in a pod show, please. Um, because like it, it's good. Yeah, so yeah literally, literally like and subscribe. Like <laughs> yeah, we are. Um, but it's it would help us monetize, and if we can monetize then we can do more we can do more stuff and and trust me every single penny that we make and more of our own personal money just goes back into the pod into like i don't know paying for riverside. really good streams like this um <laughs> riverside um <laughs> um so yeah uh, but we did have a hilarious comment i'm not going to shame them by by saying it but i sent it to john last night it was quite late last night the, 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 you know the weird the weird scary thing is that we're on because we are on youtube now is that I'm starting to get worried about like I don't know if I like it because we're uploading to TikTok, uploading to YouTube, and we're we're just getting like so yeah. many comments being like because I, I we had a comment we had a we had a question it was actually really good and it provoked some good conversation. The question was, um, does Zack Snyder is he held to a higher standard than other directors? 
and um, the response to it was so funny. We had so many responses being like, "Actually, actually, he's he's held to a lower standard." And um, and then, but then someone says, "Zack Snyder is cinematic syphilis." <laughs> so do, and, do you know? Do you know what though? It's all, it's all engagement, and like, no, genuinely, hmm. it's it is. Every so often, there will be some uh, genuine like thought process and explanation to ideas, and, and we've had some good fun with those and like really going through them. But every yeah. so often, you will just get a load of abuse, and it is quite funny. So, yeah. But yeah. Yeah. But anyway, so please, please go on right. YouTube, subscribe to us, please help us. John, next film. What you, you've been watching so much, matey. For, for me, I don't know why I did that, matey. It's okay. <laughs> uh, the last one is a rewatch, and mm. I think I've talked about it with the pod before, so I'll be careful. But. Um, there's a new Alien series coming out, which I'm really excited about, called Alien Romulus. So I'm going to do something we don't normally do. Let's talk news, Jamie. News oh, on Alien Romulus. You, you surprised? You shocked me. What no, am no, I, I, do think, now? I think this will genuinely shock you. So Ridley Scott's producing this series. It's the same creator who did um, Fargo and who did Legion. Legion I really enjoyed. I didn't watch Fargo. Mm-hmm. He basically said that he hates the whole what David making the Alien thing. So he's just going to ignore it he's literally just been like for right. me them being the perfect life form means that for millions of years they've existed i don't like this idea so they've released a piece of content previously which kind of hinted that the aliens already existed david just made his version of them which is what i believed at the time anyway i never believed yeah. he made them originally anyway so the new series he also specifically said he doesn't like the production design of covenant and of prometheus because and it's mad. Oh, I love a... the pro- I love the production design. So, so sorry, uh, the TV show isn't Alien Romulus. That's a film, but we'll get onto that after. But mm-hmm. for this TV show, they are specifically using the seventies seventy nine aesthetic and eighty six aesthetic from Alien and Aliens, Brilliant. which is the biggest CRT TV. I'm thinking it's going to be more like Blade Runner twenty forty nine, which kept that aesthetic. How exciting! It? Like, it... So we'll see. I'm really hopeful for it, but. It got me rewatching Covenant because I still think whatever you think of that film, I I personally really enjoy it. I rate it quite highly, but it's so do I. No, no, so do I. It's a very very good looking film. So I had the sexy film, yeah. Scary. I I brought it upstairs. A coffee table book all about like the production artwork and behind the scenes. And I love that stuff. Reading about it, a lot of the set interiors were carried over from The Martian because Ridley created like loads of sci-fi things he liked for that. So he brought yeah. You said that like the seats, the seats from The Martian was used because I because I. I recently rewatched New Zealand. The Martian. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Martian's a good film as well. And look, I think everyone knows, like, even if you don't enjoy um, the scripts of some of Ridley's films, like, they always look incredible. And for me, I do enjoy the script of Covenant. I like a lot of the ideas and themes of it. But um, I rewatched it. And again, it was after Jamie and I had had the chat last week about streams versus the um or like physical media and it was only the blu-ray but my god it looks incredible i've not actually watched i think i've watched two blu-rays on this tv since i've been here because in that year i have had a child which took up quite a lot of time but i just haven't really watched physical media i've done a lot more streaming and quick stuff so it's really nice watching it and getting the full experience but really good really good soundtrack and just good fun I'll tell you what, I, I've, yeah, it is. I, I actually really like a- Alien Covenant and it's, mm. and it's absolutely, it's probably one of the best looking Blu-rays I've got. I've got it on 4K. It, yeah. Um, it's not is often it Catherine a Trump. Wilson as well? Who's the, who's the lead? She's really good. Oh, I've forgotten her name. I don't know. Shut up. Um, She's in Babylon as well, but, so I'll find out ah, later. Right, okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. So. Well, I was this, just going to say about physical media. So I've, I've been, I've been quite naughty at the moment and I have been, I've been really buying a lot of 4Ks um, mm. lately. 
because um, I'm just I'm really invested now. Like this is it now. I feel like I feel like we're in our in the heyday of 4K Blu-rays. Criterion are releasing some, um, so I've I've actually pre-ordered two Criterions. I've pre-ordered uh, Thelma and Louise, and oh. I've pre-ordered Linklater's Dazed and Confused. So I'm. Um, yeah, I am. I am going pretty hard, and also I actually watched. I'm. I'm I am terrible. Like I, I've actually got Singing in the Rain on Blu-ray, but I rebought it on 4K, yeah. and I bought Babylon on 4K as well. Babylon, I think, is the film to watch on 4K. Like it's. it's we'll get into that. Don't don't. don't we will anyway. Um, um, yeah. So you watch something else, haven't you? Tell us about the TV you've been watching. Yeah, a few quick bits to catch up on. Um, yeah. So that TV series covered off Alien Romulus. I'm looking forward to as well, which is coming this year. Can't believe that. That's Excellent. kind of stuck up out of nowhere. And that's a film, right? It is, and it's from the director of uh, what's the horror series that we watched at your house, and it's the woman who puts the thing through a tongue, and I went mad. Evil Dead remake, right? Oh so, yeah, yeah. So, okay. so yeah, it's the gonna Argentinian be, director. I believe so. So I think it's going to be okay. check for me quickly. But I am it's, trying. Um, it's going to be. I think it's going to be far more horror focused. I think mm. they've said it's going to be more like a slasher, but I feel like it's going to be more. Fade Alvarez, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I couldn't, yeah. I couldn't think of his name. I'm excited. I liked his. I don't love horror films as we've talked about before, but I'm getting more into them. And like that you know, film is incredibly one. visceral. So mm. if I get that kind of visceral reaction from an alien film again, then I think that's only a good thing. Then, um, speaking of visceral reactions to things, I have watched uh, a series. Uh, the first episode, first I'll go through, is the new True Detective, starring Jodie Foster. It's really good. It's really yeah. creepy. Really weird. Okay. So without giving away spoilers, I think if you, the, the vibe of it is kind of, because it's based in Alaska, Wind River, The Thing. Ooh, it's based in Alaska, like, is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, um, yeah, it, I love that. I love that scene. Yeah, it looks like such a, like, a harsh place to try and live. So mm. I remember years ago, is it Dust Till, uh, not Dust Till Dawn, there's a, is it 30 Days of Night, isn't it? That, yeah. Like vampire film. So I remember seeing that when I was like 14, 15, it really creeped me out, but it's a really good premise for like, horror yeah. or like just feeling at unease because the daylight's so short so things that aren't remotely dangerous feel way more dangerous because of the conditions well did you know in. alaskans alaskans actually alaskans if there's any alaskan listeners sorry if i've mistakenly called you an alaskan but it f- feels feels right and um, imagine if it was a crazy slur yeah like, i'm so sorry right. I, don't, I did not mean it um <clears throat> i'm not aware of, anyway alaskans i'm pretty sure that's absolutely fine to say um so I'll say it four times. <laughs> um, um, Alaskans, uh, they 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 spend four months of the year in pitch black. Yeah, it's, it's, believe it's, that. I find it you so creepy. Like, yeah, exactly. So, it's so difficult to navigate. A film that I love. Two films that I really love. Um, set in Alaska. Uh, one would be The Edge with um, Anthony Hopkins uh, and Alec Baldwin. It's a brilliant film i spoke about it on the pod before go check it out like crazy 90s thriller like that you just wouldn't expect i believe it's probably on i think it's on disney plus as well and another really good film was sandra bullock the proposal i mean i love it i love it what are you gonna do about it that was not where i expected this conversation to no, go from great great film great uh, film jodie foster's 62 by the way which i hadn't clocked like, i would imagine she would be yeah. in, i feel like she's been in films forever and i suppose she has because she was in oh, like... do you think she would have been older than that uh yeah to be honest, because she, yeah. but she I mean, started so young. Inside the lamb, she was dead young, yeah. yeah but how, she, like, no, but she was in like ta- uh, tax drive, wasn't she? She was like super she was. young. Anyway, she um, was. oh yeah, she, the yeah, cinematography yeah, she was, yeah. of True Detective is insane. Like it's 
every so often you get like that HBO feeling. Yeah. Which I know sounds really cheesy, but you watch it, you think, oh, this is premium TV. And it sounds really bad, but you do just get that that moment. Big time baby. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And it's um, the theme tunes by uh, Billie Eilish. And it's like, um, yeah, this... True Detective's always had good music, always had good needle drops, as people mm. say. But it's it's really, really well done. And just a great sense and feeling of an ease. It's only episode one out now, but I would really recommend it. If you were going to wait a few weeks, then maybe do that. But because okay. on... season one's incredible. And then, but then it's weird because they tried to c- carry on this, like, this duo detective, like, really famous actors. So it was um, the second season. Colin was Farrell and Rachel there. McAdams. Wasn't it? I thought it was Vince Vaughn and Colin Farrell. What am I getting mixed up with? Uh, no, 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 no. You might be right. You might be right. Yeah. Anyway, like, and it was, it was just not good. Like, really not good. But I think that it was really hard to live up to that first season because the first season of True Detective was considered one of the best seasons of television ever. I feel like season three I didn't watch, but a lot of people actually gave it a lot of positive yeah, so reviews. That, that had um, Mahershala Ali in it, which yeah, Correct. he's good. He's really good in it. Um, so yeah, well, he's good in everything. To be fair, uh, yeah. Cool. And then last two TV shows very quickly. Oh yeah, I can't wait to hear about one of these. I've been hearing about it all the time. <laughs> so the first one, very quickly, is another one that's being released weekly, which is Criminal Record, which has in Peter, uh, Peter Capaldi's latest series, where essentially it's a London-based crime drama, um, thriller kind of vibe. Um, mm-hmm. It doesn't give me that HBO feeling. It's on Apple, it is isn't it? In, yeah, sorry, it's on Apple TV. Incredibly high production values. Yeah, really like it. But my only snag with it is really weird. When they're in the car sequences, the frame rate of the volume or whatever they shot it on doesn't match inside the car. Oh my Ooh. god! So it's like lagging as the cars go past. My brain's going no, like I can't, I can't deal with that. What a rookie error, John! You would never make that error over at JCB. Well, video. I, I really wanted to be like, what's happened? But I don't think anyone cares enough. But in this day and age, it's kind of it's unacceptable. It's acceptable. But it's anyway, unacceptable, John. There we go. The last one, and this Here is we go. probably my new big favourite thing. Big it's time, called baby. For All Mankind, which was one of the hero shows. When Apple TV launched, this is one of the the big, like, you know, this is what we're going with. Um, it stars Joel Kinnaman, essentially, as an astronaut. And the, the base of the show is very simple. And this isn't a spoiler because it is the base of the entire programme. The Americans lost the space race. The first man on the moon was a Russian. And it's about how the world changes from there. So, so it's a true story se- then? No. So each series <laughs> follows through um, like a cycle of probably a couple of years and then each series in between jumps ahead 10 years so you can see right. the progress of what's going on. Um, for me, it's playing on real-life characters. It's playing on events that happen in real life and moving them around. It's just yeah. a really interesting what-if story in itself. But also a lot of the basis at the start initially anyway is technology and things that really happened in just using different ways which right, i find quite okay. incredible the performances from everybody so you have you've you watched apollo 13 with me so you kind of have a bit like um don't worry darling vibes which is the women who are the uh the wives of the astronauts have to live a very certain life and they're very in the public eye and they have to do certain things it's like the women struggling with that and what it means it deals yeah. a lot with like um the lgbt Q plus community at that time and like the struggles they had because mm-hmm. people worried that if the Russians found out you were you were gay that it could be held against you and they could use you then to be exploited against your country and these things. So it's all these really interesting facets. The lead writer and creator is Ronald Dean Moore. He did Battlestar Galactica, which is one of uh, the read thing, which is one of my favorite ever TV shows. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so I was always going to like this. 
but production value, everything, it looks like a Hollywood film, genuinely. Like, the CG and everything's really good. It's shot in that documentary style. So when right. the ship's far away, it, like, does crash zooms in and, and yeah, yeah. absolutely love it. But uh, the score's by Jeff Russo, who's done some uh, of the recent Star Trek series. And I said to Jamie, it's the only programme recently that has made me... Uh, like genuinely, cried I laughed. I cried. I but, fist pumped the air. No, but, like it, the, my message to you is pretty much that. There was an yeah, episode was where I was literally screaming at the TV. So what they do really well is they sell the awe and the allure of the moon and travel and space and like the human condition to go and all those things mm-hmm. that I, I really personally like love the ideals of and buy into. Yeah. But it also makes you realise very quickly it's really really dangerous here. They are literally in a tin bucket and yeah, it yeah. can go wrong really fast. Um, as it goes ahead, obviously, the technology's kind of jumping because uh, it's kind of like, if we had done this at this point, then we would have advanced at this point and the army would have done this. So electric yeah. cars exist in like the early 80s, for example, or whatever. So the further it goes, oh, that's through, interesting. the, the okay. less it's like where we're at. But it's yeah. funny as well, <clears throat> slight spoiler, when they jump ahead 10 years, they do like a little trailer so you can see how the world did change. So John Lennon yeah. never died. And he's right. a pain in the ass of the Americans because he's a big supporter of the Communist Party. Right. <laughs> it's, just like, it's, it's, it's stuff like that. Or like Camilla and Prince Charles married the first time around. So Diana never had a miserable time. So there's just like all these right. like, they're yeah, not yeah. main plot points, but it's just like interesting. Just little like, yeah, like, yeah little anecdotes. Scattered around. But it's really, really good. But there's there was a sequence where it was like an Apollo 13-esque situation. And I was literally, I text Jamie like, I'm... I'm afk away from keyboard for the next hour because i'm just gonna be shouting at the tv and it's just so good um oh, wicked. thoroughly enjoyed it anyway i'm very conscious i've just spoke for about 15 minutes of things i've watched which is you get it you're allowed me unheard of yeah do you know there's, so, there's been so many weeks where you've spoken for 15 minutes about nothing like um i, I don't mean that, that sounds bad doesn't it that, that, <laughs> no, that makes it sound like i'm saying that you say nothing <clears throat> um what was i gonna say um you, do you know when i said um i laughed i cried i fist pumped the air do you know do you know what i was doing no, what's that from? It's um, Richard E. Grant when he was uh, when he when he just Stop come out of the no 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 when he just come out of the screening of uh, Rise of Skywalker because he's in Rise of Skywalker, isn't he? Oh god! Yeah. And he did that thing where he's like, I laugh, I cry, and it, I fist pump the app. He does this thing with his teeth, and like actually, the, the mug I was drinking from earlier was um, a Limmy mug. Um, so Limmy's a com- Scottish comedian who's hilarious, yep. and Limmy done that. Ex- he does a really good impression of Richard E. Grant, and he was doing that as like a on Twitter or whatever, and Richie e. Grant seen it and was like raging, so he blocked him. And then everyone That's was, uh, everyone was like, "Oh, now Richard, like he does it all the time, like it's just a joke, it's just a joke." So Richard's like, "Oh, okay, cool, yeah." Unblocks him, and then Limmy like just cracks on, carries <laughs> on again. Really funny. Anyway, um, yeah. So what have I been watching? Oh, do you know what? I've got some good stuff to talk about actually. So um, I watched uh, the Holdovers, which um, if if Maybe I, it's not out in the UK yet. Maybe I flew to America and watched it, or maybe I didn't. Um, but I watched it, okay? So um, I watched The Holdovers, um, which is new film by Alexander Payne. Bit of, a, bit of a weird one, really, like as in why it's not out in the UK yet, because it's essentially a Christmas film. Alexander Payne, actually, who also did Election and he did a film called Sideways, has this like really just dark sense of humor like great writer um so the holdovers stars paul giamatti um dominic sessa uh davine joy randolph um and it's basically about uh an 
a tutor, I guess, um, at a New England prep school, and he's forced to remain on campus during Christmas break to ba basically like look after these students who have nowhere to go because their parents don't really, they're like really like quite posh students and the parents don't want them home for, for Christmas. Um, and essentially it's just about, it's basically just about the story of them being on campus and spending time with each other. And it sounds boring. It's over two hours. I'm telling you now, it's such a special film. Um, this, this is coming out really soon. I think it's coming out next week um, or the week of when this releases. Um, so please seek this out if you can. I think it's going to be a modern classic. The complex complexity of the characters, um, the storytelling, um, you can tell it's going to be like really rewarding on the rewatch. Um, I think there's a film probably every 10 years or so that makes me feel like a certain way. And it's hard to describe Like Perks of being a wallflower did the same. Um, the only way I, I was sitting, I was like, I don't know how to feel. It's like emotionally nostalgic, if that makes sense. Um, and I don't know what that means, but it, it feel it felt right to like describe it like that. Um, Paul Giamatti's performance is so he's such a nuanced character and complicated. They all, they're all complicated, and it's just kind of a slice of life film where you're spending time with these characters and you feel a, just this certain way. I'll be watching it every single year. It's it's so special, and I love it. And I think that if we're going to talk about films, best films of the year it's really between that and Godzilla for me. Like I, I really, really loved it. So when that comes out, I'll probably go and see it at the cinema as well. I already did see it at the cinema, you know? So yeah. Um, I then watched, um, I bought the 4k cause I had to teenage mutant Ninja Turtles, mutant mayhem, which it's is, good. Um, yeah. Directed by Jeff Rowe. Um, who hadn't done anything actually. And he's, he's directing a second one, which is really exciting. Um, this is, this is quite a weird one because I said that, I said that about the holdovers. I I feel like this is in the same vein of quality as Into the Spider-Verse. Um, the art style is extremely interesting. It's like almost like hand sketched. You can Just see like certain... graffiti almost, uh, yeah. almost at certain sequences. I watched the, um, v you know, the Corridor Crow do the VFX react. They have yeah, an animation yeah. one specifically. And yeah. They did a whole episode about it and it just looks... They basically talked about how Spider-Verse opened the style for audiences understanding different ways of animation. Because okay. before it's always been Pixar way or like the, you know, Illumination with the minions. And that's kind of been the style. And then all of a sudden people are like, oh, Spider-Verse is amazing. Spider-Verse is amazing. It looks like nothing I've ever seen before. And the animators are like, we can do this stuff. It's just, you don't want it. It doesn't yeah. sell. I was, now you can. And like Ninja Turtles, I've only seen the trailer to be fair in this breakdown, but it looks yeah. incredible. Like the different artwork styles and Puss in Boots too had a sequence yeah. like that. So I, I was it? about to say that to you. So I, I, I watched that a few weeks ago. Um, again, a really interesting art style. The one, the one thing I would say is that I've, I, I dread to think how I would imagine the way <laughs> I don't I don't mean to be derogatory to to Pixar or Disney Studios, but the way they're churning these films out now, which is they are churning them out. If I'm being quite honest, really quickly compared to what it used to be. Like we've had like a I want to say a four year gap between Across the Spider Verse and Into the Spider Verse. So I worry <clears> that. We'll, we'll get the same kind of thing with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles because of how nuanced the art style is and how, how I don't know, complicated it is. But but then at the same time, they'd probably just get AI at some point, I would imagine, to figure out how the art style goes. I, I, I don't really know. I, I hope that's not the case because it'll put people out of jobs. But um, really good. We've got um, uh, Ayo Edibiri, who's who's actually, we see her. She's been in loads of stuff now. She's, she's also in Across the Spider-Verse. 
um she's in Be the bear um and she's in bottoms like comedian she's really funny like great great voice actor and um, she is uh, april o'neill this is just basically about the turtles um as as teenagers and they're trying Played to become by actual teenagers yeah they're trying to become accepted um the voice of splinter is voiced by jackie chan and it's absolutely hilarious he's so funny in it um there's there's a scene that I've I've watched like I've watched it twice now um since I've had it like um and my other half watched it as well like she she watched it while I was out um and absolutely loved it as well I, I would say that even if you don't like turtles it's hilarious it's got like the needle drops in it are 90s R&B slash hip hop it's it's oh, it's brilliant like so much fun so yeah I, I watched that um which I'd massively recommend that's I think that'll be on Paramount Plus soon because it is a Paramount film can I just interject there? You know, you talk about Disney animations. Mm. So do you remember Claire came on and talked about Wish and said it got critically yeah. like, bombed quite a lot? At the time, a lot of people were talking about they didn't like the animation style and it looked like AI did it. So do you know why this oh. is? Because it's actually quite interesting. No, it's I not don't, AI, no. It's not AI at all. It's not? Okay. Wish is the idea of like lots of storybooks and it was referencing back to like old school Disney. So frame yeah. cell animation used to be, you know, every second frame so if there's 24 frames per second you could animate 12 of the frames and there's like a significant movement and you could see it yeah now when uh later down the line in special effects we add motion blur in between those frames so if my hand's moving like this you'll see it blurs but in animation it would be like this dot yeah. dot, dot, dot dot not this is not very good for people listening but there we go um, <laughs> And essentially, what they decided to do to make Wish look more like the classic Disney films, they turned the motion blur off. But then right. audiences said, oh, it looks janky and it like looks cheap. fake and it looks cheap. And they were like, we've spent all this time creating this effect and not doing it and making the animation style so specific to that old hand-drawn style. But the truth is people associate it with the hand-drawn style. They okay. don't associate it with the CG style. So here's, here's, a, good, here's a good question for you then. So... <clears throat> this is me defending Disney for once. If Disney had not made this and it was another studio, do you think people would have looked at the art style differently or they're expecting um, a certain thing from Pixar or Disney, what, I think Disney that, Studios? I think that when you think Pixar or Disney, you, expect, you, you yeah. think this looked and I think they tried to do something different and I think, to be honest, it should be applauded for that because they were trying to do it, but the intention yeah. just didn't come across well enough. But it's interesting because we've just talked about two key films into the Spider-Verse, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and uh, um, Wish. and Boots 2. Oh, Spider-Man Boots Sorry, and, and Wish. But my point being, all those three films have been praised for doing yeah. that different style. But then yeah. I think the Pixar one wasn't different enough. Does that make okay. sense? It's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It, was, it was like, oh, it looks different, but it doesn't look... Yeah. Like, so it get, got caught in that uncanny valley, weirdly. Anyway, mm -hmm. enough about that. Just thought it'd be interesting insight. No, no, thanks for the little anecdote. Um, I then I've got um, I've got the Criterion box set of the Before trilogy, um, so I finally got the guts to watch it. Um, this is Richard Linklater film. Um, he's released uh, this. Well, there's a trilogy, so there's three of them, um, <laughs> but they're all like many years apart. Like like he does. Um, he likes the kind of film um, life, I guess. This is about a uh, young man and woman. Um, played by Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy. They meet on a train in Europe and they end up spending one evening together in Vienna. And it's this is this is basically one of those films where I don't know if I could again I, I couldn't recommend it to the casual movie watcher because it's they they would probably turn around and be like nothing happened. The the film is about them two and their relationship over this 24-hour period or less maybe slightly less than that. Um about them connecting so hard and falling in love almost. 
and I don't want to, I'm not going to spoil what happens, but um, the second film obviously involves them too. The third film involves them too, like later on down the line. Um, really like has this like melancholic feel throughout it. The, 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 the dialogue's written really naturalistic. Like it's, 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 I, it's great. Like I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, but it's one of those films where it's like, it is, you've got to be in the right mood because it, it's not a film to watch if you've just had a breakup, you know, like it's, it's brutal. Leaving Las Vegas. Yeah, exactly. That, yeah. That it's, life. yeah, it's not, yeah. it's not, it's, it, I would say it's quite melancholic, but it's, it's really beautiful. And mm. um, like to the point of where like, I've sound like I'm not that hot on it. I gave it nine out of 10. Like it, it's brilliant, oh, wow. okay. but it's, but it's also, um, yeah, tough just going. it's, yeah, tough going. And um, I'll then watch back to the future part three. Directed by Robert Zemeckis. See, I, I said to Jamie when he said this, I was like, Back to the Future. I said, I didn't particularly like Westerns as a kid. I still yeah. don't massively love them now. So I used to hate part three. I used to be like, because I love two because of the future and the hoverboards, like everything's mm. kind of sold at me. And then yeah. three's like, do you want a steam train? I'm like, not really. Yeah, mate, but it's, yeah. And I mean, I think that's. <laughs> just just saying. Yeah. But yeah. it's, I tell you what though, I've, I've seen three fairly recently because they're all on, is it ITV that play them all the time? And it was way better than I remembered. That's and... great. Like, no, it's really fun. It's really fun. Um, it, essentially, they go to the, the Wild West and again... They do they're... the same beats as the previous film, but it's yeah. cool. But yeah, like, basically. Yeah, it's great. Basically. I, it's, it's probably... Chicken? I love the Wild... Yeah. Yellow belly. Yeah, that's it. Um, I think it's got still got the charm of the previous two. Um, yeah. Arguably the most exciting sequence out of the trilogy, in my opinion, in terms of the end... The, the, train. the end sequence, yeah, the train. I think that's the most exciting high budget sequence out of the trilogy. I then watch them. Probably is to be fair. Yeah, it's. Uh, it's yeah. It's, Have it's, you seen the clip of the kid that weirdly grabs his crotch and like looks at camera? What? Where? It, at the end of Back, end of Back to the Future. No, they're like there's uh, like there's a whole thing about look at this weird kid at the end, and he just grabs his crotch. Yeah, it's really weird. It's really <sighs> strange. Anyway, yeah. bringing the tone down. Keep going. Yeah, I hope. I hope someone's spoken to him. Um, I wonder what happened to him, eh? <laughs> he was like, I think he's anyway. been interviewed about it. I swear. Anyway, right, keep going. He's probably. Like, he's probably I was about to. No, never mind. Right, this is yeah. Just shut your mouth, Jamie, or you're gonna get cancelled. Um, then watch the Stepford Wives, um, directed by Frank Oz, 2004. I've not. I've not seen it before. Um, Yoda directed this... a film. Who knew? Pardon? Yoda directed a film. Who knew? Yeah. So Yoda directed Little Shop of Horrors and The Dark Crystal and Muppets in Manhattan. Like, it's crazy. So anyway, yeah. Um, Stepford Wives, directed by Yoda, starring Nicole Kidman, Matthew Broderick, Bette Midler, Glenn Close, Christopher Walken. What a cast. I've seen um, that film as well. Many years you've ago. You've seen it? Well mm -hmm. done, you. I can't believe that's a surprise, really. Mm -hmm. um, so I would say that, like, yeah, I understand that Don't, Don't Worry Darling's very, like, borrowed lots of ideas from it. Yeah. I, I mean, it's it, it's not been reviewed well, but I I enjoyed it. I had a lot of fun with it. Um, yeah, it's it's obviously a it's a film about um, these people that go and move. It's it's a film about a woman who is very high power, high performing woman, um, and she gets fired, and they go to live in this kind of paradise place. Was well, paradise for the men, isn't it? Um, and yeah, and it's it's a bit strange. You don't really know what's going on. Like the women, they don't have jobs. Um, Reminded me of the village at the unravels. time. Never seen the village by M Night Shyamalan. Oh, then I'll shut up. But that has no. a similar kind of like going to a place that's really different, and but at the time not being sure yeah. why or how. And I felt like Step of Wife, Stepford Wives had that vibe, as did Don't Worry, Darling. Yeah, but yeah. 
I see good food at competitive prices. Hmm. That's like really niche from Family Guy in like 2006. Um, anyway, um, that reminds me of the time I did a, I did a, an advert in the style of M. Night Shyamalan. It's like <laughs> Peter Griffin, like, <laughs> anyway, never mind. Um, I watched Sonic the Hedgehog 2. Um, I mean, the story is the story. I'm not even going to bother. Um, it's pretty, it's a lot longer than it needs to be. Um, and I felt like, I know it's, I know it's a CGI hedgehog. But I felt like there was a little bit of an overuse of CGI. It then went very like <laughs> I don't mean on I don't mean on the act hedgehog needs to be more realistic. No, I don't mean on the real act- hedgehog and paint blue. Come yeah, on, I don't guys. mean on the actual hedgehog, but I mean I like definitely peaked then. Sorry, guys. The whole thing's a green screen. The whole thing is a green screen. Everything was it um, shot during COVID though? To be fair, which is uh, probably part of it production wise. Yeah, yeah, it probably was because it was came out in twenty twenty two. Yeah, it's pretty fun. I laughed out loud a few times. Uh, Jim Carrey again, like from the first one is, is back to his best. I prefer the first one. I think the first one is much better. Mm. Um, it's got Idris Elba stars as Knuckles. Um, he's great. Um, yeah, it's, Knuckles it's a Sonic film, you know? It's a Sonic film. There's, there's, it's good fun. Um, but do you know what did happen during that film? <clears throat> I ordered a KFC, which I don't do very often. And um, I ordered a Colonel four-piece chicken meal, right? right. Get this. I've, I'll, I'll be honest. I lost my mind. My chicken meal arrived, my four-piece chicken meal. And I, so um, I open it. It's like half nine at night. I open it. There's four sets of chips in there. No oh, chicken. Mate. Four sets of chips and no chicken. Someone's trolling. Uh, I'll tell you what. I was mildly upset. And when I say mildly, I'm in, I mean raging. Um, two, more to, two more to talk about. And we're yep. 41 minutes in. This is That's bad. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is bad. Um, right, I do need to talk about this, though. Chop, um, chop, chop. I watched a film called When Evil Lurks by Demian Runya. Um, this is on Shudder. This is a possession film about um, a small small rural town. It's a Spanish... Uh, Spanish or Mexican, I'm not 100% sure, so I, I am sorry. I, I want to say it might... Do you know what? If it turns out it's Argentinian, I'm in big trouble, but something like that. We'll find out. Residents of a small rural town discover that a demon is about to be born among them. They desperately try to escape before the evil is born, but it may be too late. Now, I I am not... I'm pretty numb to most horror films at this point, but this has a couple of extraordinarily disturbing scenes in it to the point of where I was like, out loud, wow, like, I can't believe they've done that. Some stuff that I've never even seen on film before. Like, Was it like the subway sequence in that film that I forgot the name of? That was horrendous and horrifying. I, well, it wasn't I horrendous. I don't know, but there's a couple of... One when, the, you know, the woman birthed the demon in the ho- subway. Oh, Possession, yeah. That's yeah. one um, of the freakiest things I've ever witnessed way in Way worse. Way, way oh, worse. Okay. There's, there's, a, there's a scene with... Um, there's a scene with a dog and a child, that's all I'll say. Um Right. Oh, a, and it's like okay. it's absolutely um yeah and, and then there's another scene towards the end um it goes it goes pure children of the corn at the end um towards the end um it's when i say like a possession film like a, a, a demon should be evil so like in in the exorcist like when reagan gets taken over by um what's it called john uh, pazuzu when reagan gets taken over by pazuzu that like, you know it's evil but there's the stuff that this demon does, put it this way, is is just wild, and it just like goes from person to person to person, and it's like a, it's an hour and a half, and it's just this roller coaster. Like it's, it feels very frenetic and um, just quite stressful uh, all over. We'll speak about stressful scenes in a bit. Yeah, um, yeah. And then finally, I, I watched Wild Things. Um, 
Wild Things is a film from 1998 by John Denise Richards and Neve Campbell. That one. Yeah, Mc... yeah, John McNaughton. I've and seen who... it. You've seen it. Yeah. I bet you have your pervert. Um... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um... I'm sorry. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's got Kevin Bacon. It's a 90s thriller with Kevin Bacon. Yeah, it's a 90s a thriller with Kevin Bacon. A 90s thriller is the way to describe it. Yeah, I wouldn't say... People... people. I mean, it's, it's out there as like an erotic thriller. I wouldn't say it's erotic. Um, Kevin Bacon, <laughs> Matt Dillon, Neve Campbell, Denise Richards, uh, Bill Murray. Uh, again, absolute... Carrie Snodgrass. It's, it's, it's got a brilliant cast. Um, this is about... Uh, a te- a, like, do you know what? It would go really well with Cruel Intentions, I think. Um, Similar year. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. It just had that, you know what, right? That feel. Something about the 90s, like that, that vibe, that like, like just like sexy vibe, but not too sexy kind of thing. That's like, what Saltburn felt like for me. That kind of, yeah. night, like, because I know Emerald Fennell loves Cruel Intentions, but that kind yeah. of like weird, sexy thriller, dark yeah. undertone vibe. But anyway, yeah. sorry, continue. I mean, you did mention Neve, um, Neve Richards. Oh God! Imagine combining them. That'd be like a megazord of beauty. <laughs> um, anyway, um, this is basically just about uh, a student. Um, so Denise Richards, like a student, she's like probably the equivalent of like uh, what's what's her name from Mean Girls? The plastics, like the uh, Regina George. Regina she's George. the equivalent of like you, Regina George, but um, a bit older. Um, and she basically accuses her guidance counselor, um, Sam Lombardo, who is played by Matt Dillon. She accuses him of rape. Um, so he's suspended by the school. It's pretty like it goes really dark really fast. Yeah. Um, and then he's basically just trying to prove him, prove them wrong. And then you've got Neve. She gets Neve Campbell in on it as well to also accuse him of rape. And actually, the man's just trying to live his life. Um, so it's a. It's, and, but it's got some really great twists in there. So I. I mean, it's trashy, a little bit trashy, but. They're kind of are in those nineties thrillers. Like they've got that element of just being that little yeah. bit cheap. There's a bit of cheese hammed in there. It's certainly not six out of ten. Like it's be- better than that. Like it's there's a lot of like some it's not pre- great. It's, it's seven's a push, but yeah. Six and a half. John, you gave Rebel Moon a seven, so don't you've got no leg to stand on. Oh um, I, 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 yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. I'll <laughs> yeah, just shut up. Yeah, I've, just stop. One what? one point before we get on to Babylon, which I need to address, by the way. Forty five forty six minutes in. Forty six minutes in. How do you say chocolate? How do you pronounce chocolate? I say chocolat. Have you never heard me say chocolat before? No, of course I don't okay. know. I say, I, I, say, I, I say, um, get us a bit of chocky, um, chocolate. What, what do you mean? I, I should have said this. <laughs> There's a link. I should have linked back to this very much at the start. My main Wait. complaint about Timothy Chalamet and Wonka was oh. the way he says chocolate. Chocolate. Ten things that chocolate in my pocket. And then he says chocolate. And it's just really... Do you think it's so they can rhyme it's, chocolate with pocket? It is, but they follow it through the whole film. Do they? Th- oh, so he says chocolate the whole film? The whole to film. Like, to style out... The- why Why would they not have... Why would they it, not have changed the word pocket instead? And to- once, once you know it, you can't unknow it. Do you know what I mean? Like, once you picked it up, you what's, can't... What's the lyrics? What's the lyrics? I'm about to, um, I'm about to solve their problems straight away. Ten silver sovereigns in my pocket... Um, and the only something like the only thing I brought with me is my chocolate. Right here we go. I fixed and it already. A hat full of dreams. I've ah well, I fixed it already. Ten silver sovereigns in my hat. <laughs> I've got chocolate or something. Where's it go next? Well, you've kind of and you. I'm my. I've got dreams in dreams. my pocket. There we go. I fixed it anyway. So never mind. Um, is it who who directed that? Uh, Paddington director, I've forgotten the name of. Adam McKay. 
Mm. No, it's not, is it? Pff, what am I talking about? Anyway, hire me. Um, we're about to talk oh. about a proper film now, and not that Wonka. I'm joking. <laughs> Timothy Chalamet. Uh, just give me another reason to hate him. Um, imagine this. Do you know what's funny? Imagine somehow we we get massive and uh, we end up getting Timothy Chalamet on the pocket. On, on the pocket. I don't know why you don't like him. Uh, I will address. I will ask him about saying chocolate if I get yeah, to speak well, to him. Yeah, yeah cool. And yeah, imagine yeah, he, just just out of curiosity. Just like, imagine why, why chocolate. Like, imagine his career goes like right down the sewer, and he <laughs> he's coming on movies in a pod shell with Jamie and John or John and Jamie, whichever whoever you think is the most important, and um and he listens to our whole back catalogue just to vet us, and he comes on. He's like, so he's not listening. So so tell me so tell me about it. Anyway, uh, we're going to talk about <clears throat> whoa. We're in Silence of Talkies, aren't we? Do you know much about Silence of Talkies, John? No, a bit. Yeah, I know a wee bit. Yeah, I bought a book and didn't read it. Anyway, we're going to talk about Damien Chazelle. 2020, whoa, depending on where you're from, 2023, 2024. No, it's definitely not 2024. 2022 or 2023. We're talking about Babylon. I think what we have here in Hollywood is high art. It's... If you could go anywhere in the whole world, where would you go? I always want to be part of something bigger. Yes. Let's go. So, John, um, so I had no idea what to expect because it had, I want to say this film had a little bit mixed reviews. It had a lot, I would say a lot Very of, mixed. I would say a lot of film fans loved it. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's had quite mixed reviews, a three hour epic. I definitely think this is... Damien Chazelle went out there and he wanted to demolish the expectations of a period piece. And oh, does he do that? Because it's an 18. Apparently he'd been researching this for like 12 years and it took him so long to actually like commit to filming it because he just loved investigating the era. Because it's an era which That's has always been presented in a very romantic style previously, mm-hmm. a very like rose-tinted glasses. This film isn't that. I will start off the bat. I think... The way the quick words, the first words that come to my head to describe this film are: it's very vulgar, it's very brash, it's very, vulgar. No, but it, it is, and it's very <clears throat> like it's bombastic. It reminds me of the opening twenty minutes of Moulin Rouge, mm. where it feels like we're, we're on being the same page, clubbed over the head, boom, yeah. boom, 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 and it's very visceral. Not to say I didn't like it but it's an incredibly intense experience. The Ooh, opening, it okay. takes, was it 30 minutes until the title Babylon even comes to on get, the screen? Yeah, 35 minutes to see the word Babylon oh, come on screen, and, yeah. you know, okay, you go right into it, you are essentially seeing a party play out in Hollywood in the 1920s and seeing literally, the, like, it normally if you see a party in the 1920s, let's say, for example, like in Singing in the Rain or in yeah. other films, it's like, oh, like... Everything's following film rating standards, so everything's yeah. really PG. This is like a mass orgy and a guy being peed on. And have you ever an attended elephant, a party like an that? Elephant, Does no, Piggy like elephant, that? No, elephants pooing over people with like mad mass loads of diarrhea. It's just, it's very like, oh my god, like sensory. You need overload. to live a little, John. The soundtrack, um, it's the same composer, Justin Justin Howard. Who did so La La Land and um, First Man, etc. I think you can tell. And it's very much got light motifs of tracks from La La Land. Now, for me, 
La La Land is kind of a, if you work hard and like, you know, you stick to your craft, like you can achieve great success and LA and Hollywood is part of that dream. And then like, this is kind of like Hollywood will chew you up, spit you out and you're done. Yeah. But you'll be part of something greater. So is it worth it? So there is still an element of that overarching theme of, being part of something like in La La Land, it's all about, I want to be part of the music industry. I want to be part of a mm-hmm. being a part of Hollywood fame. And this film is like, it shows people attaining that and losing it or, um, people who are experiencing it for the first time or people who are already at the top and the only way is down. Right. And people who can't yes. accept it and we'll get into it. But the latter part of the film, there's other characters who do accept their, their fate as it were yeah. and have realizations around, around it babylon is like one of the title you know the read on it is it was like the most decadent city wasn't it in in the biblical times and then it suffered the worst fate etc and again this film is kind of like watching someone pour petrol on a burning building (laughs) you know what i mean in terms of like how it kicks up so Um, so yeah let's let's go synopsis yeah so so this is um it's basically a story about well, it's the, just the rise and fall of these four characters. Well, multiple characters really during um, during the early twenty. Well, mid mid twenties to early thirties, we see just the rise and fall of kind of um, these. Well, I would say it's four characters mainly. Um, so what we have is we've got Jack Conrad, who's played by Brad Pitt. Um, and and in in actual fact, Jack Conrad is the Brad Pitt of his day. We would say, yeah. um, we've got Diego Calva playing Manny Torres, and I was like, oh, Diego Calva playing Mar- Manny Torres, my favorite character. But then I'm like, oh no, but then Margot Robbie as well. We've got Margot Robbie playing Nelly Leroy, and we've got uh, Joven Adepo playing Sidney Palmer. Now these different people, we've got Jack Con- Jack Conrad, the Brad Pitt character is the movie star he's the silent movie star he's the heartthrob he's at the top of his game he's the probably out of all of these people in the best position he's 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 a success we've got diego calva who is um an immigrant who is who he's i I think he's mexican he is um and 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 you know what culturally this is this is there's some really important parts of this film that that i will touch upon um, as a white man, um, but Diego Calva um, playing Manny Torres is is fantastic, and we've got him that's trying to. He will do anything it takes. He's like a production to, runner. I mean, yeah. runners these day and age don't do things that bad. I mean, no, but it, essentially he's a, oh, he's a fixer, isn't he? Like he supplies the drugs for the stars. He gets people home when they're too drunk to drive home at the end of the night, and he also deals with elephants that have excessive diarrhea. So he, yeah, he he's basically seen as like he's hired by the studio to keep everyone happy and to yeah. clean up everyone's problems, and, and he will do whatever it takes to break anything. into Hollywood. And then by the end of the first act, the first thirty minutes of the film is essentially seeing this party, and he allows Nelly Leroy in, which is Margot Robbie's character, and at that party she basically acts like a star and believes that to be a star you have to act like a star and she's like i've always been a star i'm not acting this is me and then him letting her in is the start of her being spotted yeah and getting her first role and you can tell she's not a star though as well she's from the <laughs> she's from, i've heard it described as the she's from the wrong side of the tracks like that's that's the way i, I watched them um, the actual i was quite annoyed actually because the, the 4k i've got of babylon it's got special features on it but there's no director's commentary which i was actually fuming about that's um, weird. 
yeah, it is weird. Um, but there is like a 30 minute piece on like the making of Babylon. Mm -hmm. And it was saying that like the, the, the costume design of this film, like everything's handmade. The one thing about mm -hmm. Margot Robbie's character when we first see her is we, she's not, she's not turning up glamorous. She's turning up in a, in an outfit that's quite revealing that she looks like she could have put it together herself. She's mm -hmm. got this very like what you would describe as um common common accent really it's like very like brooklyn no offense to the brooklyners out there but it's the harley you know quinn accent doing the yeah, works again. yeah she's got yeah. The, the harley quinn wolf of wall street kind of thing going on and i actually i loved actually seeing her like this because because of all the barbie the barbie discourse and that's that's all you've been hearing over the last kind of oh probably like 18 months like i, I kind of forgot that there was this version of margot robbie that existed um the, the version that that we see in The Wolf of Wall Street and... I think this the, is her best performance because if, if... It's the work she's most proud of, she says. I, Tonya, is one I actually rate quite highly. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you gotcha. saw that because I feel yeah, like that yeah. is a real Brilliant. character piece and becoming mm -hmm. someone else. But um, this, for me, I thought was her best performance because the, the amount of things she's got going, it's a very complex character. She's, she's I wouldn't even say she's an alcoholic at the start, but essentially her downfall is the success gets to her head. And she's a party animal. She um, she's taken excessive amounts of cocaine when we meet for the first time, anyway. But There's piles she, of it, yeah. But by the time we get to the end of the film, she is just not the same person. She's in constant trouble, and like the downfall of one of the other leading characters in this film is specifically through her actions and what she's doing. But yeah, it's kind of showing how the Hollywood system may be revered and looked back upon in a certain way because context at that point you were with film studios and you were signed to a studio on like a five-year deal or or what have you and they looked after you and yeah like that that it you know you became they a star you. and they own we, you we'll talk, like, back, we'll talk about singing in the rain as well about this because this is really interesting mm -hmm. for um debbie reynolds debbie reynolds yeah so mm -hmm. go and carry on sorry and then the character i actually enjoyed the most was so it's uh gene smart plays Eleanor st john who is the um the journalist and she talks about there's a good speech where at the end towards the latter end of the film she talks about how like she's explained to brad pitt's character as the audio is coming through yeah. you're you're a dying breed like you're i can't remember the way she describes it, but she's basically, basically you're a you're a pack horse and your time is done you're done and her point is, I'm a cockroach. I know like when to step in and when to step out. And I can, like, people don't pay attention to me. I can just be here and criticize you, but I'll always be here. Yeah. And it's that idea of, she says something, though, very sweet within it, which is the fact of, don't you see, like, you will live forever. You will die and your body will go, but you survive in film. And your yeah. people can turn on a TV. She didn't say TV because it wasn't then, but people will put a picture on and you will be there. And for that, hour or whatever it may be you are alive and preserved perfectly as you are all these elements and it's a very romantic nostalgic way of looking at cinema which i actually agree with and i think it's true but mm. she caveats that with but at the same time by the way you're done this industry spat out many people <laughs> yeah and it will do it again and again and again and it's true it is it's how it works people so we've kind of we're in the IP era now rather than the personality era. Like Cruise is probably one of the main people who can still draw people to a cinema. You're to right. See a yeah. Tom Cruise film. A Tom Cruise but film instead of like a, Mark, a Captain America film, if that makes that's sense. That's what I mean. Like yeah, not, nowadays right. they sell on IP rather than stars, but in the eighties and nineties, it was like Van Damme, Stallone. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. yeah. That's kind of what you went for. 
Um, so I thought her character was great, and I really like that sequence. There's a good joke I like in this film, which is basically Jack Conrad, Brad Pitt's character, has a, a series of many wives. So his first wife we meet is Olivia Wilde, who plays I- Ina, 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 and, Ina, Ina yeah. and tomato, she basically tomato. says, "Speak to me in Italian one more time, and I will divorce you." And like he just keeps pushing it, pushing it, pushing it until <laughs> yeah. she just goes off. Great, and then throughout the film, every so often there's just like another wife he's with. It's good fun. Um, one of the things Damien Chazelle talked about with this film is uh, when he liked the idea of lots of movement going on within the background, comparing it to Apocalypse Now, how like there's not oh, just right. what's going on in the foreground and the background, but like in the very background, there's still like lateral movement or like other things. So the, yeah. the frame always seems really frantic. That to me is why I got the Moulin Rouge vibe. Right, you okay. know, like that first twenty minutes of Moulin Rouge, it's just like whoa. Just yeah, like, like there's lens, there's lens flare. It's it's really quite frantic. Around. Like he loves yeah. that. Like you know the sequence when Ryan Gosling's uh, playing the piano and Emma Stone's dancing and it does the whip like this, yeah. and like you get all those like key sequences, but it's done for like the most depraved Hollywood party mm. and grim sequence you could see. Um, and it starts with like really warm tones. Like there's like a lot can be seen about the use of color in this film so like jenny yeah. points out like the green i have behind me here there's some sequences which are like odes to vertigo and the use of color and like um there are but i would say it's a little bit muted compared to singing in the rain which i think it, i do you know what i was really quite proud of myself because i hadn't I, I hadn't seen babylon before but i had seen singing in the rain i was quite proud of myself that this is actually such a close link and companion piece. Well, I didn't... it's directly referenced essentially. In, in, exactly. Yeah. In and that's why when people points. say Damien Chazelle's derivative, like I'm like, well, he, like I don't, I wouldn't class him as, in the same way, the same way I don't really class um, uh, Quentin Tarantino as, because they're not, I, I wouldn't say they're stealing that he's, David, Damien Chazelle's like, look, I've got the film in my film. And the one yeah. thing I, I, I would say is that I think this is a really cynical film and a cynical take on Hollywood and the roaring twenties and what was going on compared to singing in the rain, which is much more magical. It is, but the actual underlying message still isn't that cynical because the, the underlying key theme for me was what that, which is why I went back to the reporter journalist character Mm -hmm. is her speech on you live within the film forever. You live within it. And, and for me, like, the the Ooh. I'm gonna I'm gonna go to the the end of the film because it's I'm well, yeah so spoilers just just, just just for this point there are spoilers okay. so essentially Manny finds himself in trouble which we'll we'll delve more into like what how that comes about and what happens yeah but he returns years later and he's out of film production so pre- previous to this he's worked his way up through the system the film is yeah. all about his rise so he goes from a fixer he goes to pick up a camera one day and then they say he's got well, some really good shoot? ideas can you do this then he becomes a director yeah. then he becomes like the talent manager for margot robbie's character and he starts her whole rebrand much like what we see throughout the plot of singing in the rain but margot robbie's character well let's explain it now we're here margot robbie's character nelly Leroy, gets herself in so much trouble and he has always loved her she doesn't love him is my take yeah he's, he's love always her, loved her no, you're right and yeah. essentially to help and save her he he has to come up with some money and he does he gets himself in a situation which we'll delve more into later because that's one of the yeah. grimmest sequences of the film mm. and then he disappears he's told to disappear so he disappears when he comes back, the end sequence is him going to the cinema and he's distraught because they are watching Singing in the Rain, which, the sequence where they're taking the mickey out of people getting used to the talkies, which is 
the whole film is about that element of that film is talking about his life and what he lived through and he yeah. starts to cry and weep because he's like they are basically taking the piss out of something which ruined my life and like my friends lives <laughs> however yeah. however he then has that moment of realizing at the start of the film he has a chat with margot robbie and it's like why do you want to be nelly leroy's character nelly leroy why do you want to be in films and it's because i want to be part of something greater i want to be part i want to be remembered i want this i want that and yeah. he goes from crying to starting to smile and laughing in that yeah. cinema because he realizes he is part of something greater and the fact there's a film made documenting about that change is in itself a big deal that he was part of that and those talking pictures exist and that sound exists because of like the work he did so it's him like coming to terms with that, which is why he smiles at the end. I don't yeah. like the end montage, by the way. It feels a bit weird for me because um, you then see a montage of sequences going from, I don't know, 1920s, 30s. He likes doing that though, doesn't he? Damien Chazelle. Yeah, but it it's nowhere near like the La La Land one and it's nowhere near the first man landing on the moon one for I've me. I've not seen or... it, so... So it's that's only one of his I've not seen. Yeah, but the track is that which is the jazz motif we have at the start of the film, right at the start, which I think is very similar to it's La La Land. Yes, it is, and there's a sequence where um, in um, um, when Emma Stone's character is going to the party, that that's someone in the crowd. You know, you're going to the party, you're going to find out someone is going to pick you out that like yeah. motif is used later in the film as everything's going wrong in yeah. uh, babylon which is interesting so sorry i know we're kind of jumping around all over the shop here but it's quite a difficult film to kind of yeah yeah, um, it is, yeah. it's oh. it, it for me I, I i last point from from my quick overview was i remember saying to jamie this feels like his once upon a time in hollywood i absolutely feels like yeah you feel like brad is playing that brad pitt Brad, you know, my mate Brad. My mate. Um, Brad Pitt is playing the Leonardo DiCaprio character, like, for me. like um, Adjusting to it, the change of, like, how, how Hollywood's changing and it, you yeah, either yeah, adapt yeah. or you don't. I do... Th I, I think this is... I do think this film is... Abs I think I think in years to come... I know... Do you know what? I was thinking about this day. I'm like... Are you, when I'm on the pod, I feel like I'm always just like, I love everything... And that's genuinely not the case because we do criticise things and we, we criticised Rebel Moon last week. Um, <clears> but for this, and I hadn't seen it before, so I didn't know whether I was going to like it or not. And, and I'm, I do just like film. I think this is going to be, over the next 10 years, it's going to be one of the greats. Like, over the next 15 years, it's going to be one of the greats. If in you terms look of at like, cinematography, production design, yeah. and cho choreography and is the big thing. Story the as well. I genuinely think story as well. I think there's... There's so many deep themes and stuff. Like it explores, it explores all these things. Like you, we explore these these four characters because I'm going to talk about Sydney as well because he's a really important character in this. The way it um, shows us what the the culture of Hollywood was like and just the culture of America as well, yeah. I think is I think is really interesting. And we see like after this lavish party at the beginning, we do we see everyone except Brad Pitt who goes home to his big house. Everyone goes back to their very working class lives, small houses, dirty houses, messy houses, sleeping on chairs, that kind of thing. Um, and they're just trying to make it in Hollywood. And we, we it then kind of, we, we do see a character called um, Sydney. I don't know whether he's called Sydney as an, as a, like a nod to Sydney Poitier. Um, Maybe. I'm not sure, but he's a musician. Um, he's not interested in Hollywood in terms of, 
the 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 being in Hollywood kind of thing. Like he wants he wants to perform at the highest level. Um, at this party at the moment, he is um, just providing the entertainment at the party, which arguably you would you would say is one of the the. I don't know the jobs that are looked down upon. I guess like compared to all the movie stars there, that kind of thing. He's he's at the top of his game. Like he, we see him having like um, arguing with uh, his the people that he's in the band with, saying like you need to like you need to sort your shit out. Like or I'm if you if you play if you play flat one more time, I'm gonna headbutt you. That's what he says. And um, I just thought that was really funny. Like, um, but he is at the top of his game. He cares so much because he knows that those musicians who are who are black, and that's an important point they've got to be like 10 times better than any white musician that's there as well. Otherwise they won't get the, they won't get the parts. And so he's trying to capitalize on sound being introduced into film in which he does. He's about to get everything he ever wants in terms of playing at the highest level. And what we see is by Joe Adepo, who's, who is brilliant in this, we see what it costs a black man at that time to, to be at the top of uh, the top of the game. And he is the the one out of all four of them that says, no, like, I'm not going to sell my soul to Hollywood. I'm not going to sell my soul to the devil. They There's a there's a really, like, poignant scene that I, I didn't even know this was a thing where Manny, Manny is kind of, he's a director now, and he's he's coming up with these great ideas. Like, he's, he's saying, he's, like, he, he turns around and they say, what do we do with talking pictures? And he's like, you turn the camera around, you focus on the orchestra or the band. Yeah, yeah, like, exactly. That's the yeah. interest. Like, that's, that's the thing, yeah. like. So Not he's quite revolutionary in the ideas that he's had. This Mexican, and again, it's following culture. It's it's showing you that this this Mexican um, guy is like kind of breaking down all these barriers that that would have been in the way for him, like really difficult for him. But he's that he's that talented and has these such great ideas that that yeah. And again, we'll talk about Margot Robbie and why she managed to um, sort of break into Hollywood. The yeah, so we see we see Manny Manny goes up to when when we when we are moving from silent films to talkies or like um yeah talking pictures. Um, Manny goes up to uh, Sydney and he says, "I need you to I need you to wear this." Um, and it's basically it's black face paint to and I didn't know that I I was only aware actually that it was white people that would that would do blackface. Like um, Lawrence of Arabia with um, yeah yeah, yeah. Um, uh, a blackface jump scare as one of one of uh friend of the show says and she'll know she'll know who she is um she so we see in that point that he's been given this black face paint and he's he's devastated he's like well, why and he says oh it's, it's because of the lights like it's because of lighting or something and i never even knew that was a thing and i like um jo- joven adepo says in an interview um that it was a sensitive scene and he even felt that whatever sydney had at that point he lost in that moment his mm. dignity everything like they he knew at that point they would just hang him out and wring him dry um and then Sydney he plays then at like a local club doesn't he like later yeah, he and walks away like, from hollywood yeah. at that point he's he's yeah. one of the only he's the only one out of all of them he walks away from hollywood and he he plays at a real jazz club and manny on the other hand sells his soul to the devil pretty much but what what i found interesting about that because I, I then i then researched why why would black actors wear blackface like why would that be a thing and so i researched it and there was there's a really really good video actually i would tell you to go anyone to go watch it uh, margot jefferson um it's called margot jefferson on the history of black performers wearing blackface and it's on cbs sunday morning um and it's uh margot jefferson is a um a black uh author and she she's done loads of stuff and um, but she speaks really like eloquently about it and and now I, all i'm doing is regurgitating what she said 
um, because I, I learned something from her. And she, she basically said that audiences um, back then were, it was to make white audiences more comfortable. Um, and it was almost, they would wear, they would ask black people to wear this black face um, in order to um, almost make a caricature out of them. So it was, it was more, um, it wasn't so scary, I guess, um, because, because there was just the way black people were perceived in America at the time. She said, let's be honest, America was racist. Um, it's a three minute video. I'd, I, she obviously talks about it much. I've watched it twice, but I, I, and I tried to watch it more. So I, I don't want to misquote her basically. So yeah, yeah, yeah. just go and watch it. But I found, I found the, the cultural stuff by, from Damien Chazelle, the, the stuff he put in there was, was really interesting. And obviously, yeah, you, this is, I think the, the film would benefit like a lot of these three hour films that we've, we've been watching lately, like killers of the flower moon, um, this, um, they really do. They would benefit from probably like lots of multiple watches because there's, there's so much in there to take in. I feel, I always feel bad about talking about it. Um, like on a on a for, for for half an hour on a podcast because I can't do it justice and I won't be able to do singing in the rain justice a film that's immortalized over seventy five years so yeah this was almost forty minutes longer as well the initial cut was forty minutes longer and I feel like I would like to see it yeah because he wasn't sure which plot lines to kind of spend more time with um, yeah and he had so many aspects he wanted to to go through so as you say you've got Sydney's group you've got Manny you've got like Jack Con so the trailers kind of implied that Margot Robbie and Brad Pitt were in the film together a lot. Well, actually they probably have like one scene. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. They're not, and, they're not together a lot. They're no. not together in it. And, um, when I said the comparison to once upon a time in Hollywood, I want to be clear. It's not because of Brad Pitt and Margot Robbie, although it might sound like it's because of that. It, it's really not. It's more so the themes about adjusting to the change in Hollywood, like Leonardo DiCaprio's character is the fallen star on the way down, but then he ends up in the spaghetti westerns and ends up on the way back up. And like, yeah. that's kind of what you think. I gotta go and be, I gotta be in Italian films. Italian movies. <laughs> so that's then, really you know, funny. Jock, uh, Jack Conrad's Brad Pitt's character, you feel like he might try and make a go of it in talkies and he has that, that moment where he does the one mm. film and it goes terribly and he's like, done. But also, in the film he has a producer friend who is um, the guy who has the toilet seat stuck in his head, who falls in love really easily. And when he, oh. like, he passes away in the film, oh, essentially, yeah, yeah. and he loses all his confidence. If his friend would have stayed alive, then I feel like he would have given it a go. But because yeah. he's gone, he's just kind of lost his... It's like, it, it, tell you what it reminds me of. When it's going bad for, for Jack, Jack Conrad, Brad Pitt's character, yeah. it's like, you know, that, that quote when it's like, oh, you never realise you're in the heyday until it's over. Like you don't, yeah. you don't like, and I do think that is a true thing. Like there's so many moments where you just take things for granted and like after it's finished and you just kind of go like, that was like a really amazing point in life that you just didn't really think about in that way. I feel when like you're at uni. Like, when well, you're at uni, you're that, not really. Like, I just, no. I just, but just, just well, no, like, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what. First day of the summer holidays. What a school. Blink, like, blink, blink like, 182, yeah, blink yeah. all the small things is playing. Yeah. And you go out to play footy. Sitting up, sitting, How about that? sitting in the park with friends at like sixteen years old for like a four hour day and not realizing. First how kiss. Out. Mm, yeah. First right, time. Right. Okay. Never mind. Anyway, <laughs> my point being, I feel like that's kind of where his character's at. He realizes too late that he's taken mm. more for granted and he's kind of abused the industry. But the the, yeah. the flip side of that is the industry's abused him and the fact that he's just it abuses everyone. That's the yeah. thing. That's and that's yeah. what I'm saying. I think it's a Your cynical wins. look at Hollywood. Yeah. Um, so 
when we get into what, like, why Manny disappeared. So we said Margot Robbie got into trouble. She essentially gets into uh, gambling. Loads of debt. Yeah. Loads of debt. And $80,000 or something crazy. Which in for that era is a lot. And he ends up supplying, unknown to him at the time, fake cash, as in movie prop cash. Yeah. And he takes it and basically they end up in this weird sex party dungeon place. Yeah. That that they've been shown to by the one and only original Spider Man, Tobey Maguire. Oh, and he's oh he's, he he's so creepy. Creep. He kind of yeah. he, he gave me the Gatsby vibe initially and then he's like, No, I'm, I'm like a creep in this and then yeah. it just yeah, and he's so good at playing creepy guys, I'm not gonna lie. And he takes them to this weird aspect. He's like, I've got a load of ideas for films. It kind of implies like money laundering operation, maybe. Oh, and he's chill. like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take you somewhere to see see something you guys really want to see. And he kind of talks like <laughs> this, right? Yeah. And then he takes them to. It's all like it looks like an A24 bathroom bit where it's just like, don't give me that, John. <laughs> don't, don't, don't. No, it's, it's, we're not. No, no. Don't you dare. I'm winding you up. What do you mean by A24? Tell me what you mean by that. Because I watched the YouTube video the other day. It was like how to get the A24 look. And literally it was a guy who put a red neon tube behind a shower curtain in his bathroom. I was like, yeah, it looks like a, a bathroom sequence. But anyway, but my point that, is... Oh, it oh, does, no, 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 sorry. But it Go does on. it does look like that. And as he goes through, you, you see all these sites. And sites that end up being films, such as there's someone who looks like the, the, film, the guy from the film The Elephant Man. Yeah, it's down. Yeah, there. yeah, yeah, yeah. There's what? What else was going on down there? There was loads of stuff going on, and there's a it lot was, of like um, just, sex and well, full frontal nudity stuff. But there was a lot of like things Emmanuel. that you see in films later. And mm. basically, during the sequence, like the money gets wet, and like Toby Maguire sees it and loses it, and there's this escape where Manny has to get out with his producer friend or whatever, and there's like a crocodile trying to attack them or an alligator. I never yeah. know which one's which. There's I can tell you which one's which actually. Go for it. One's quite they're quite different. Um, one is uh, quite dark. I, I googled this the other day. Um, one is quite green in color, um, and well, one of them's a lot bigger and and it's uh, darker in color. There you go. Okay. Uh, great. <laughs> I didn't, I, yeah. Brilliant. I couldn't remember what I read. And yeah, basically they escape, and that's when Margot Robbie's character only agrees at that point. Nelly only agrees at that point to leave with him. It's not really out of love. It's just because I feel like she just needs him, and that might be me being harsh. And then uh, basically, as they go and do their escape and run away, she survives. Mm -hmm. Like she doesn't get the hitmen. Hitmen are sent to go and kill her and Manny, but she survives. But she dies at a later date. But Manny, as we said, he goes away for like ten years and comes back, and he has a family. And he basically moves on from Hollywood. He has a life outside of. He finds new meaning. It's nice. He, he, he has, has a, a he has quite a nice ending actually. Yeah, that he deserves. I think what I haven't really spoke about, and I think we should probably cover before we start going into some questions quickly, is kind of like how Nelly Leroy actually gets in the film industry. So basically someone gets so yeah, drunk brilliant. at the initial party yeah. that she ends up covering for them. And as she ends up covering for them, she's supposed to do like one scene and everyone loves it so much. She ends up doing sexy bar dancing a bit like in um, Coyote Ugly on a bar and becomes a sensation and she becomes the next thing doesn't she the important thing about this is that the, <clears throat> the films are silent so she is um the the one thing about uh nelly is that she's she is she's common like she's common she's not she's not how you'd expect a lady to talk 
um, she's very much like, yeah, I can cry on demand, like that kind of like thing. And um, she's she is she's like um, you can tell that uh, I she she goes she basically goes is, is it Samara Weaving that she pops up in this, which is really funny. So Samara Weaving is um, she's basically starts to take over her. She can cry on demand. She's doing all these like really sexy, risque things in in the twenties, which then become slightly outdated because they don't have the um the rating system changed in that point like weirdly when people could talk they wanted people to speak in a certain way and this is kind of exactly what singing in the rain's about which we'll get into um and they wanted movie stars to have class essentially because they viewed them as having class but they couldn't hear what they were saying <laughs> and then yeah. as soon as they could hear them they wanted them to uh, like hit that hit that tone let's say um and Jamie, I want you to talk about the most stressful sequence since Uncut Gems, which is Nelly Leroy's first talky experience. Oh, this is my favorite. This could be this could be one of my one of the funniest scenes in film that year, like easily. Um, It's Nelly's first sound take. And so it's funny because we have like literally a parallel scene of this in singing in the rain one of them is 18 rated and hilarious and the other one is just hilarious um so yeah nelly's first sound take this it's the it's the actual transition from silent to talkie and so um the filming film is so stressful and we we kind of see margot robbie come on the scene nelly Leroy, and she's like i can't remember what she says but she's like I'm finally here, or something my like that. My first day at, at high school. I know, That's it, it. It's, it's um, college. My first day at the new campus at college. Yeah, yeah. Didn't hit and it just, Yeah, you've got a guy in a sound in the sound booth. The reason why there was a guy in a sound booth back then was because the equipment was so loud that it would just the microphones would pick up everything. So the, that's the problem. There, there was no. Um, I want to say can, they're all condenser mics, so they would pick up like all all everything. They're omnidirectional so, essentially, so you have to like, well. They had to put the projectors and the cameras in like those soundproof environments so it wasn't picked yeah. up by the microphone. Roasting in there, by the way. Um, so <laughs> it probably gets stopped a total of about ten times because she walks in, she, 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 she walks too hard, then she starts talking too much and she blows the sound, and then um, someone sneezes. But the way this is presented is in such a. It very much is like this Uncle particular Jones. scene directed by the Safety Brothers. It's the most stressful thing ever, but it's also hilarious. You've got the guy, um, I don't know who he is, but he's the producer on set. And he has like, he's losing his mind. You've got, um, I want to say Jeff from uh, Kirby Enthusiasm that walks on a set, who I believe, I want to say he's a Harvey Weinstein character. He walks mm. on set and they're, and they're saying like, to tell this shut up and get off. Um, and it's the final. It finally stops with like Margot Robbie's losing her mind. She's like, like effing and Jeff, and like I can't do this again. Like screaming it. And then we've got we've got the producer finally. He's like, we are going again. Camera and mother king sound. Like it's and it's and you can see the spit flying out of his mouth because he's going crazy. And it's just so comical. Like I was just sitting howling. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And the sound, the guy in the sound booth. 
They're like, where's he? Where's he? Dead. Oh, because they, they keep pushing him back in there. He's like, it's so hard in there. Mm. He's dead. <laughs> He's yeah. died in the sand booth. And he's like, I don't know why I'm laughing, but well, it's no, funny. It's, it, it also presents a lot of things that we don't know about 1920s Hollywood. Like it's implied that when they film those large battle scenes, event, sometimes people did get really badly injured and other times people were dying on set. And it's just kind of like, ah, oh, well, you know, yeah. we'll... we'll People were getting smashed by horses, like all sorts, and, and all Which of this, by the way, was... because there's probably no health and safety at this point. No, right? just there's, no, there's um, yeah, there's there's no regulations, and all of this was uh, done with physical. Like he, he actually got, he actually had all those people on set, like Damien Chazelle. Yeah. Um, they built the set. Um, yeah, he'd, he'd done everything physically because what he wanted was the the outside sets. Um, I wrote it down somewhere. Yeah, so the, the he wanted Sergio Leone exteriors and Barry Lyndon interiors. Mm. That's what he said, mm. um, which I find I find really interesting. And the whole film was storyboarded. Every everything was storyboarded. Everything done physically. The costumes were handmade. Um, you had like Diego Calva, the 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 guy that plays Manny, um, wearing suspenders for his socks because they didn't have elastic in the 1920s. And although no one would ever see his socks or legs, he just wanted to feel like yeah. he was in the 1920s. It's really, I think it's wonderful filmmaking. Like Damien Chazelle, for me, has slotted himself in quite firmly. He's one of my favorite working directors at the moment. Like I haven't seen First Man, but I've seen his his other three big ones. First Man's worth a worth watch. I've I, got it on Blu-ray. I think people's issue with First Man was it was more the story about, and this is what going into For All Mankind again, but it follows the story of the journey of being with that person, but being so out of control, but having to be the one holding the fort. And I think there's a lot of stories now that are casting that different eye because women's stories are finally getting out there, which sounds really stupid for me to say, but do you know what I mean? Like to actually present the the issues that they would have had because before it was expected they'd act a certain way and that's how it was portrayed in films was this was actually showcasing what they were really going through. And I think First Man did a lot of that. And I think at the time, Claire Foy is brilliant in that film for me, but everyone said it was quite a muted performance from um, Ryan Gosling. But the, the other reason behind that is because uh neil armstrong himself was quite a stoic persona and, and yeah like all the astronauts weren't particularly friendly they described themselves as kind of um what did they say amicable strangers was the way they described it they worked right. well together but they weren't friends it's a bit like you know football teams you're always like oh you, in your head when you're a kid all the footballers get on in the starting 11 and as you get older you realize that most of them hate each other or do you know what i mean it's just kind yeah, of yeah. like it's a professional relationship, not a thingy. Anyway, all by the by. Um, the other sequence I really want to talk about, and this is the last one I'll go into in detail before we talk about questions, is when Margot Robbie... Um, I'll stop saying Margot Robbie. When Nellie Leroy attends the banquet slash party. And oh, brilliant. Yeah. You basically... She's been told to act a certain way and to say certain things. And it's a bit like in Singing in the Rain, where you've kind of got, like, speak this way and do this. And... Mm-hmm. You can see after like the opening five minutes, she cannot cope. And she goes upstairs, talk to Manny, and he's like, your career is dead if you don't do this. Like, this is, he's like, snap out of it. Like, give yeah. me your best performance you've ever done. By the end of it, she has peed on the floor. And I know she's, no, she doesn't <sighs> pee on the floor. She vomits she's, over uh, yeah. somebody on the floor. Because she's yes. not what she wants him to be. Like she's authentic. Like I think she's she really wants to be her. She's authentic. authentic self. And they criticise her, so she takes it to like she says, "This is what you expect of me. That I'm an animal, so I'll act like an animal." And oh, yes. it's some of the Brilliant. best performances. Like everyone, I remember at the time, like lots of people 
were really pleased is Margot Robbie's performance in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And don't get me wrong, it's a good performance, but she has way more to do here. There's there's so much more meat on the bones of it of like like yeah, what yeah, you get to she, do. I agree, like hundred percent. Like she's she's been she's been given like a really pe- people really complained about the um, part she had in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood because it was not enough um, for a, for an actor uh, like Margot Robbie. I think yeah, this this the amount she's given to do the script. She said it's one of the best scripts she's ever read. She she says this is she says this is her favorite piece of work that she's ever done, and she feels like it's going to live. Um, for for the ages like it's gonna it's gonna live long uh for decades well someone talked and i about, agree you know is this a is this masterpiece is a classic and then someone said the criteria is for that is can you go into this in any year and it still be relevant and now because it's a time period piece this will age well because of the way it's been shot and done practically because i don't think there's well there probably is there's always cg in films there's always hidden cg to there's not much at all no there's not much at all there's nothing and do you know what slightly off topic but i'm going to say it anyway someone's talking about how the dark knight trilogies like age really well recently but then there's marvel films from like four or five years ago which are aging terribly because of the crunch and and the production but yeah because of the reliance on the digital effects that have been rushed through not good ones yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it ages quicker whilst there's a film like alien which is mainly practical there's two shots in alien which look old and the rest of it is perfect it's just that kind yeah. of thing and it's it's interesting how a film like babylon because of the production design, the way it's been shot, and because of the year it's been dealt with, will stay relevant. I think the message is about, well, we've, we've covered it, about living forever within the film, and this is going to be one of the films Changing. that's living forever yeah. within the film. So it's 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 got a meta element to it. Um, anyway, we should probably cover some questions about this film before we delve into the singing of the rain. It's really hard not talking about singing of the rain while talking about this film, because there, yeah. Very similar beats. Yeah. I mean, okay, so let's... So we don't... Uh, we've got questions not particularly about Babylon. They're, they're mostly, like, generic to the to the pod, but let's break this up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and let's uh, talk about... Uh, so Kim's... Cinema... Whoa, got a name wrong. Kim's.horror.escape um, writes in with a really interesting question, actually. And uh, she says, Will we ever have as big an evolution in movies now slash soon as the change from silent to talky? So... I guess this had me thinking. I was like, so, so are we going to have another big thing from like that, that we had silence to talk? So we obviously we had black and white to color. Then we had, I want to say 3d. Well, before that you had, they did the different things like um, the screens that went around the super arm or whatever it's called when you had like a screen, like going round, and then you yeah. kind of have IMAX. I, my honest opinion is no. And I tell you why as well, because People, funnily enough, don't like change. So, um, and I mean, remember when 3D started to pop off and people just moaned about the prices of 3D conversion and there weren't enough authentically shot 3D films. Now, I remember when I saw Prometheus for the first time, which was shot genuinely in 3D and being completely wowed by it. And not as the first one for that was Avatar. That felt like game changing. Avatar was like, I talk about that all the time. But it felt like that was whatever you thought. Four DX now you've got. It doesn't. I don't. Which I, I think I, that four DX is a bit of a gimmick, to be honest. Like I went to I see don't mind Justice that League theme park, but I don't want it. For, yeah. You know, I went to see Justice League in four DX, and um, it's really quite distracting because you've got these like massive. So like you've got these massive fans on the side. I hate. And so like when you're outside, you're outside, and like Batman's on the roof, and it's like. Like yeah, 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 yeah. You can barely hear the dialogue because like there's this massive it's fan just, going. 
No. And your seat's like moving all like this. And it's like, it, and you're just like, well, I, I can't really concentrate on the film if I'm being quite honest. Also, and I've, I've had this chat with you before because we went to see the film. It was the Idris Elba film where a lion attacks his family. I can't even remember what it's called. And a lion. We, we saw that in 4 yet. Beast. And yeah, like, beast. It's going, yeah. Bah, 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 bah. And, and yeah. don't get me wrong, it was a fun novelty trick. But after an hour and a half, it's like, bloody hell, the, the seat's about to vibrate again because the lion's, go, oh, God. Like, you know, I yeah. sound like a cantankerous old man. Maybe I am. But. Oh, you have me because you, you, you said like, oh, Babylon's vulgar, like <laughs> an old man. Nobody is. But what I would say is when when I watched, and I've said this a million times, when I watched A New Hope for the first time, you see the Death Star Trench run, I have a feeling yeah. and a sense of momentum from what I'm seeing on the screen. Yeah. I personally feel like I don't need a chair to move around for me to feel that. And if it needs to do that, it tells me it's not doing enough in the filmmaking. You think about the sweeping camera movements of something like in Babylon. And like the way, uh, and yeah, the yeah. way it makes you feel like you're moving through space, as in space in the set. So, so that's that. But but what I was gonna say was, yeah. I personally don't think we're gonna get it because people they tried to introduce 3D and people were like, no, basically, right. they, they got to yeah. the point like we're, we're not interested. They've gone for. I don't know if that's true though, because 3D is still a thing. Yeah, but it's Avatar: not, Way it's, of Water was in 3D. It's not what they thought it was going to be. No, no, they, yeah, they it, thought, well, the 3D tellies have gone. Yeah. Like, the, you, 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 3D tellies have you gone. You as a novelty. Like, the projectors are 3D. I've never used it. Do you know what it's what I mean? funny like, because they tried to do a few things. Like, they tried to, like, release those TVs that were, like, curved. And it's like, they, they just went out of fashion so quickly. And what I would say is that, that now, nowadays, there's, there's a couple of points I had about this. And, and I, I think we're right. Like, we're not going to get anything unless unless i've got a stupid idea well it's not a stupid idea because it's probably within the realms of like possibility i think most of the time now it's the experience people market so mm. the reclining chairs the social media aspects for like barbenheimer for example so i think in terms of what transcends film now would be the experience of dressing up as barbie like and going to the film films like i think this it's more not around the secret film, the club, film. It's called in london that does that stuff like when you can go see back to the future and it's like half immersive half watch the film i've got the name yeah, so it. yeah so so they do it they do it here as well so secret you can go to club. like That's alice good. in wonderland yeah and when they're eating the food they bring food around that kind of thing at the same time i do think there's going to be the the I'll, I'll finish on one thing but we one had well. the, the only other thing I could even remember would be Bandersnatch that was on Netflix so the um what's that what's it Black Mirror Bandersnatch but what what that was was it was a it was a film length like feature length episode of Black Mirror and what that did was that you would actually interact with the film and be like yeah. oh what's the character gonna do now do you want to punch her in the face or rob the bank so you choose one or the other and then you actually have like lots of different paths you go down like the butterfly effect almost yeah so that was a that was an idea the, choose the your last, adventure yeah exactly that sorry yeah exactly i don't know why i didn't say that sorry. choose your own adventure so the only other thing that i think would be that doesn't exist at the moment but is almost existing would be um the vr stuff so that you could go you could put a vr headset on and go and walk around the ruins in rome like like mm -hmm. the Colosseum. I think that is probably the only thing I could think of. That, and it, it, there is things where you can go to a museum with a VR headset or yeah, sit, yeah. sit front row. At, uh, imagine, imagine this, John. You love boxing. Imagine you could sit at the front row of a boxing match. 
well, 60 quid. It, it already exists for football, doesn't it? When they did the yeah. BT thing where you could move your phone around to see it from those angles. The, the, so I think that's that's the next one, VR. Yeah, the, the only other one I thought of, which has tried to be introduced, which people said no to, was the Peter Jackson thing. He went 48 frames per second really good. Oh, God, yeah. And everyone went, Shite. soap opera effect, I don't like it. And then, Shite. It, I, I tell you what it is better for, the 3D. It did look better for the 3D right, okay. because yeah. there were more frames, so the motion was less weird. Now, yeah, yeah. Peter Jackson, uh, sorry, um, James Cameron had some sequences in the way of water in 120 frames. Yeah. And he had other sequences at 24 and the more action sequences <sighs> skipped that, so you got better 3D. But yeah, that's that's my that's my final point on that, really. Yeah, I mean, th- and thanks for the great question because it's um, because it has yeah given us a lot of discussion. Right then, we better get into it because these 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 pod- these old podcasts are getting ridiculous. Yeah, we need to, um, we need to get tighter. So our next film is going to be we've mentioned it a few times today, Singing in the Rain. The primary colours, John. The primary colours. It's gorgeous. Technicolor. Mark that. Um, speaking of film, speaking of colours, Film Forager writes in and she says, can you name some of your favourite Technicolor films? Have you had a chance to look, John? I've or got... Or have you completely... Oh, go on. I've got two to go at. Well, I've got I know three, what, actually. Do you know what? I, 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 I bet can, you can, I can guess. guess. Go on. Number one. Oh, Hitchcock. <laughs> there I go. Yeah, one. Yeah, two. two. Cool. Number two. Oh, dial in for murder. Uh, no, rope. Yeah. Rope. Okay, cool. North by Northwest was also Technicolor. Uh, okay, I should have put that on there. That's not my third. The third one is the obvious one, which everyone's going to say, but go for it. Wizard of Oz. Of course, because let's be honest, it's just like pure magic. The Wizard of Oz is one of the most magical film experiences I've ever had in my entire life because I didn't realise the film wasn't black and white. Mm. And mm. for you? Top three? Or some? Yeah. I mean, I, John, I've took the piss out of you, right? But... What, what did you put? Vertigo? Dynam for Murder, which was one of my favourite Hitchcocks, actually. Uh, that we had go fun North watching by that. We need to do another yeah, brilliant, Hitchcock. yeah. I remember yeah. that. I remember it well. Um, the Red Shoes um, by Paul and Pressburger, which is an absolute banger. Um, everyone knows that film. Um, yeah. Iconic. I probably one of, like, except... Apart from Wizard of Oz, probably the most iconic Technicolor movie. Um, and The Wizard of Oz, yeah, like, as I say, like, I, I watched it as a kid um, and I, I didn't realise the film was colour. That's the magic of it. Like, imagine, that's why I don't watch trailers, because imagine my surprise going in and being like, wow, wow, we were. This is a colour film. Um, so, yeah, so they're, they're probably my favourites. Um, so it's important, it is, it's important to know, isn't it, that... Um, Babylon began in Bel Air in 1926. Um, Singing in the Rain begins in 1927. Mm-hmm. Um, and we kind of see... So let's... Singing in the Rain is obviously a musical. Let's just let's just quickly talk about the synopsis. So, um, yeah, 1927 Hollywood. We've got Monumental Pictures' biggest stars, uh, Lena Lamont and Don Lockwood. Um, they're also... Well, they say they're an off-screen couple, um, if we believe the, the the papers and stuff, but they're not really. Um, they kind of like uh, pretend to be together just for public perception. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, like it brings people into the movie theatres. Um, they're in the silent era. Um, 
Don actually played by Gene Kelly actually hates um he he can't stand uh Lena um who is played by Gene Hagen um yeah he can't he can't stand her she's she's just not very nice um and she kind of like thinks that he's going to fall in love with her at some point and yeah it's it's the kind of the we we kind of see the film introduce talking pictures um, we see a film called The Jazz Singer that comes out in 1927, which changes cinema forever. Mm-hmm. And so from there on out, we we kind of see the, these actors try and transition into the talking picture. Um, kind of along the way, um, Debbie Reynolds, who is, she was only 18, actually, um, in the film. Uh, Jean, Jean, why? Where's the second name gone? Where's the second name gone? Kathy Seldon. No, Gene's what's Gene Kelly? Bloody hell! Uh, Gene Kelly um, had a brain meltdown. Um, Gene Kelly's thirty-seven um, in real life. Uh, she was only eighteen in the film. Um, they they kind of cross paths, um, and he yeah he falls in love with her. Yeah, and... he the start of the film again is it was really interesting after watching Babylon because this was I watched this second. I don't know if you did it the same way around. It's just like the, I did. I'd seen Singing in the Rain a few times though before. Yes, same. Like here's the like the PC version of what happened and a celebration of the move into yeah was Babylon. Babylon has it as a subject theme, but it's not the main reason. It, it, it's Babylon talk, looks at it from the perspective of it's something that happened that threw a lot of people out, and like Hollywood will continually do that. This is yeah. more of like a a success story of someone through it. So you've got you know. Kathy Seldon's a theatre actor and she looks down on Gene Kelly's character because of the fact that, like acting for pictures isn't the same because you just pull silly faces and then a card comes up and then you don't really act properly and then yeah. he starts to believe her when it actually kicks in for the talking pictures because the styles needed are very different and again this is the journey that Brad Pitt's character goes through in the previous film yeah. and when uh Kathy starts to, uh, she makes her way through similar. She's dancing at a party, not too dissimilar to how other people got their start up in the pre, in the previous film. But a and PG then, version. A PG yeah. version. A very, very PG version. And then yeah. essentially she, it turns out she's got an amazing voice and she can dance. She can do all the things that's needed for these talking pictures in terms of having that star quality. Um, and unfortunately for Lena Lamont, she, she's, it's kind of said that like you know she may look the part of a hollywood goddess but like her voice isn't what we want and and again that's kind of ties into uh margot robbie's character in the previous film because it's a similar experience of how that goes down really um but this is more in a much more light comedy light entertainment it's a light it's very light hearted (laughs) one hour 40 minutes as well rather than beautiful hours yeah you could fit two singing in the rains in in into one babylon yeah um I, w- I would say that, like, this is, for me, I, I think Singing in the Rain is is the musical. Like, I- I'm not, don't yeah. get me wrong, I'm not I'm not an expert on musicals by any means. But in terms of how, for me, like, I, this is one of my favourite films. I think it's it's so lighthearted and it's a film that you can watch any time. Like, it's not, it doesn't Feel really good. have an underlying story. There's no, there's no... no. Um, the and, and a really interesting part about that is that it should have been a disaster because... They wrote the music for the film first. So the music was written first and then wrote the plot of the music around the film. So made it fit. And so... Well, if you think about it, the Singing in the Rain number kind of 
doesn't really pay any relevance to anything apart from the fact I suppose he's happy that he's fallen in love. He's basically he's got a smile only, on his face. It, yeah, it's the only link to it, but it's not particularly relevant to the plot point that's, that's happening. And I don't think that's uncommon for that time, though, is it? I feel like numbers were written and then like forced into things. It's yeah, a bit, it's I a mean, bit like nowadays, you know, when there's scripts that clearly have not been sold off, but then if an IP, they slap an IP on it yeah. and reuse the script because they know it'll do well. I feel like that's the same with like songs in that era, but yeah. I may be wrong. I think the one thing that is, it's definitely with this, with this, I would say that the, the songs pretty much every single one of them memorable. are extremely memorable. Um, and I uh, make them laugh is so the scene with Donald O'Connor, where he is make him laugh. I and find he's it the funny stressful f- that sequence. Well, like get the this amount right. of so he, energy going into that. Yeah, sequence. yeah, yeah. He's, he's like, pulling all geez. these funny faces, um, and it's all about like kind of not taking life too seriously, that kind of thing. So he was <laughs> Donald O'Connor, extremely, extremely talented um, dancer, tap dancer, um, as as was Gene Kelly. Um, but Donald O'Connor, he was smoking around four packs of cigarettes a day. And Jeez. he ended up in hospital from that. So that scene where he's he's doing this, the choreography is just it's absolutely insane. incredible. Um, and uh, he's playing around with the choreography and they, they throw this doll over. They say like, here, just, just do, do something with this doll. And he, he starts like Rocking playing around with this doll <laughs> behind, behind, a, um, behind a sofa. And the, the famous scene... Um, of him running up a wall and back flipping off a wall. He does it twice. Mm-hmm. And then the third time he goes through a wall, that that took him so many attempts because he, he just, it, well, it just He'd took just his toll on his body. By the time you got yeah. there anyway. Yeah, exactly. Um, and a lot of the physical exertion in this film is just, is just crazy. So we obviously have Debbie Reynolds at 19, sorry, 18 in the film. Um, she hadn't danced before. And then she mm. was going, it was, it was actually the head of the studio what we spoke about being under contract earlier, she was under contract and she was just basically told like, look, we've got this, we've got this part for you. So go and do it. And she, she can't say no. So Debbie Reynolds, um, as a young woman, uh, went to work with Gene Kelly, who was also the director of the film. Um, now really interesting because it was directed by Gene Kelly and Stanley Donan. Gene Kelly was, people called him a triple threat because he could, he could sing, he could dance, he could also act, but then mm. he, he could, he could he, so he was doing all the things at the at, like in front of the camera he was doing the choreography he was he was directing the the, the actors and stanley donan they worked together they were like best friends it, they said that it was one of the the best partnerships ever like them them two were amazing together and they worked so well together there was never any tension that kind of thing well there was tension from gene kelly because he's intense he's intent like massively intense on set um but we've got um, yeah Stanley Donan. He he did all the behind the camera stuff. So he would he would kind of look after all the cinematography, um, all of the uh, the lighting, that kind of thing. Um, but Gene Kelly could do it all, which was which was really interesting. And Gene Kelly kind of was in charge of obviously we say he was in charge of the the choreography, and he was a perfectionist, as you can see in the choreography, like the footwork mm-hmm. and. The, the he was 37 and he's dancing around like a 20 year old like it's genuinely incre- crazy like you know for a fact if 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 you took his shirt off that is like a washboard mate like that that is a eight pack just to say on that point about the dancing and the footwork i yeah. found it really interesting having just watched um well not but when you watch la la land 
yeah. and they do the sequence by the moonlight, the dance of Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling. I remember at the yeah. time being like, oh, this is like really good, really intricate. Yeah. It's a way more subdued style. And I and yeah, I of and course, I wonder yeah. if that's a creative choice or is it just because I know um Ryan Gosling was a Disney kid and he, he did some element of dance, but yeah. it's nothing like those old school entertainers that you see in Singing in the Rain. It's just yeah. the energy and vigour they have for performance is just like nothing. The you thing don't see I, anyone doing that anymore. The at, only like, way I see it now in film and don't laugh, but in a in with the same amount of energy in a completely different style is like hip hop dancing in like the nineties films like say yeah. the last dance yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah, where yeah. that energy's going. Yeah, okay. No, I agree with that. Do you know what I mean? What about, like, what about get your head in the game? You gotta get your get your not, get your, not get your quite head. So much. <laughs> I'm thinking more Save the Last Dance, thinking. Yeah. Um, no, no, no. I'm not, I know what you're saying. Um, what's the other one? What's the one with uh, Chan and Tate? I'm trying to remember it. Um, you step what up, I step up to step up. Is it step up? Yeah. Okay. Cool. <laughs> Look at us, man. Anyway, Ugh, but, but my so point sure. is, it, but do you know what? That's that for me. So you're talking of like how things move on. I don't mm. feel like musicals do as well now. We're going to talk about an example of that in a second. Uh, but it's oh, interesting it's... how those dance films kind of yeah. filled that market of it's still got singing in it, but it's a song, not a, a thing. And it's still mm-hmm. expressing emotions through dance as an art form, but it's always yeah. built into a performance. So it's like taking elements of it and doing it a different way. The reason I just wanted to quickly mention something funny about musicals is there's a clip going around social media of the new Mean Girls film. It's not been promoted with anything of the fact that it's a musical. And yeah. then, like, in the film, a scene happens that it leads into a musical number and someone was filming it. And then the whole audience go, oh, because they're just so furious. And I think it's just like, I don't think musicals are a, are co- uh, like a commonly popular thing anymore. Example, in Wonka... It's like in the trailers, there's no, no note of any of the, any of the like musical numbers. Yeah. It's completely hidden away. And like, for me, Wonka is, there's large parts where it isn't musical, but all the best bits are when it is a musical. Like that's what you're there yeah. for. It's a child. I, I like, yeah, I like a musical. I've so, got no, yeah. No, it's, it's just interesting how it's like studios are ashamed of them at the moment. It's just kind of like, a, oh, we need to mm. sneak this through the back door. We can't really say it's a musical i i can't be- just sorry off topic i can't believe they've remade um they've rebooted mean girls i think it's do you know mean girls is 25 <laughs> years 20, run a chat about like babylon 20 years old and you know are. mean girls is 20 years old i can't believe they've remade it like why you may as well go remake the godfather the film's perfect the, the original just leave yeah, it i think i think what they've gone for is tina fey it was originally a book wasn't it and then she directed the or wrote the original film so again she's done a reimagining of it and changed mm. it to the social media age i'm not against the concept of it i just don't like when studios Apparently it's all right i don't like studios lying in marketing I find like it's it's yeah. market it for what it is. It's it's it you know it is yeah. what it is, and that's fine. And people will see if that if you trick you can't trick people into seeing things, and if you do, they're going to give you an unhappy review anyway, and then word mm. of mouth is yeah. poor. Yeah, exactly. So, anyway, back to seeing in the rain. Um, can I just say something that I found when I was watching this and for Gene Kelly? So you know when he's actually doing the number singing in the rain, his trousers get so wet and his socks would be drenched. There is nothing worse than when you're walking. And you know, if yeah. like your socks get wet and your feet get wet, his foot is soaked from minute one of that routine. Oh, yeah. And it's not just a little bit of rain. So to get rain to appear on camera, remember the Wachowski, um, Wachowski saying that they had to have it have like milk 
to make it appear on screen the rain. Oh, no. Because, now, I don't know if that was the case, but they had to like introduce right. an element of it, it was, um, when they did Matrix Revolutions. I'm not sure if yeah. it's the same for singing in the rain. But I just had, I was like, imagine if it is the same. It's just like a smell of like, like rank milk mixed in with like this water, but also oh, the no. amount of volume they put on camera, so you can definitely it's see it. far too it's much. So, it's there's so there's much. no need for that. It's like Do you want to tell you something worse? Going, yeah, go on. Oh, so in that actual scene, <laughs> uh, the day of filming that scene, Gene Kelly was really ill and had like uh, a really classic. bad fever. Yeah, yeah so he, oh, along dear. with being absolutely soaked, uh, but you, you would never be able to tell. And he and he is, I I think he is unbelievable like what an unbelievable talent as is donald O'Connor. and and sorry i don't mean to be rude to debbie reynolds she so fair play to her like they so they had massive um tension on set um gene kelly and debbie reynolds um they're really tough time because she'd never danced before he was a perfectionist and so um he at, the, at one point in time, um, Fred Astaire was on set, and I don't know why. Obviously, I'd imagine it's something to do with choreography because he was also um, a big, a big kind of musical uh, performer. Um, in an adjacent like dance studio, um, Fred Astaire found her crying under a piano because um, the intensity, because, yeah, yeah, the intensity of it all, <laughs> and the during the "Good Morning, Good Morning" that like so that song, which I, I just think when it when it comes on, I'm like banger, and then something else comes on, I'm like banger yeah you know the one where they're, they're, they're doing the dialect thing the tongue twisters like yeah that's brilliant as well but anyway when when they're doing the good morning thing the, all three of them so that was apparently a 15 hour day the 15 hour day was them just getting it over and over and over again by the end of it um debbie reynolds said that she had blood in her shoes um from 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 that whole performance but she also said that uh she said making the movie and surviving childbirth were the two hardest things she's ever had to do. <laughs> um, and the filming experience was particularly unpleasant due to the harsh treatment from Gene Kelly. Uh, I think, so then decades later, Kelly said that um, he had remorse about his behavior. He says like, I wasn't, I wasn't nice to Debbie and it's a wonder she still speaks to me. Um, well, there you go. So, yeah. With the film is as, as successful as it was. There's probably a bit of him, which felt justified. And well, it was only, it's, mm. so it was med- medium successful. Like so, when it first came out, it, it took about five years for this to be successful. That's interesting. Uh, Babylon was a flop as well. So Babylon, we didn't we didn't actually touch upon, but Babylon was made for um, one hundred and ten million, um, and it didn't make it, it made about half of it back. Mm. Um, this this was um, it came out to like uh, a warm, tepid, critical critical reception, and then it took about five years for it to be to kind, kind of classic. It is yeah, and it, and now you would you would probably you'd probably say it's people do say it's it's the best um the best musical um i would just like like talk about a couple of little bits then um a couple of like really funny bits mm-hmm. um so obviously we never go into the second film as much um but uh i love the uh, sequence of so we've got um is it lenny i keep do you know what i keep getting mixed up with uh um lena lamont and nelly Leroy. Which is understandable, <laughs> that's, that's I think. Well, they're, they're um, essentially the same, the same character. Exactly. And yeah, they're they influencing are. each other. Yeah. Exactly. You've got Lena Lamont, who is uh, Gene Kelly's on-screen love interest, and we kind of see the, the 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 silent film is moving to the talkie because of the jazz singer, uh, the jazz singer. I think it is that. Um, that that film's like just doing crazy numbers, and then we we see that actors try and transition into this into basically um the the talkies and 
it's really funny because the stuff that they're doing in the silent cinema is really working. And then we, we hear her voice for the first time and it's very much like, well, I can't remember. There's a few lines where she, she's, but she's really just got a gross voice, hasn't she? But it's, it's more so when Gene Kelly's like, can't, can't I just ignore the script and do what I normally do? And he goes up and he goes, I love you. I love you. I love you. And it's like, yeah. silent films, it works. But for the, like, he's like, oh, the audience are like, oh, did he, who wrote that dialogue? You know, just slagging off. Yeah. It just sounds trash. And yeah, it's just, uh, it, that is a funny sequence. That is, I, it's, I think there's loads of with funny... Anything coach is always good. And to be honest, a lot of the best sequences are with Lena, like, having issues. She's she's, she's super, so like, she, she's really, really funny. And her voice is very much like, like, really squeaky. So she, it's not going to translate well to the talkies. And that brings me on to a question from David Ellis, who writes mm-hmm. in and says, apart from Morgan Freeman... Um, an obvious choice. Which actors and actresses do you consider to have the best voices and why? Kiefer Sutherland, 24. Oh, got a good voice. Yeah. And uh, phone booth. But just in terms of whenever yeah. you hear his voice, I, I think he'd be great for just doing documentaries and stuff as well. He's just got a very distinctive tone and pitch. and Yeah. Yeah, he's speaking great. Of, speaking of great voices, Definitely. the best voice of all time would be David Attenborough. Yeah. I mean, I suppose Here not really are. star, but yeah. Yeah, he's not a movie star, but his brother is. So do you know what? Give me that, John. How about you give me that? Um, And then there's a few. um, There's a uh, Scarlett Johansson in the film Her. Mm. She's got that. She's got quite like a distinct, like raspy, raspy voice that that I love. Um, Amongst other things. And um, Patrick Stewart. Patrick Patrick Stewart's a good one. I love his, you know, the Yorkshire Tea advert. He's like, do you, have you seen it when she's like, there's a woman retiring and he's like, and he starts doing a speech and it's a bit like one of his Star Trek ones where it's really melodramatic. It's very well No, done. but no, anyway, he's, he's got that, it's the Shakespearean undertone. Ian McKellen's yeah. kind of the other one I was thinking yeah. of, that kind of like. How about, who's, um, oh God, what's her name? Is it Gwyneth Paltrow? No, it's not Gwyneth Paltrow. It's, it's the other lady. Oh no, she's in Talented Mr. Ripley where she's like, the start of Lord of the Rings. Uh, Five men. Kate yeah, Blanchett, yeah, there you yeah. go. Kate Blanchett, brilliant the, voice. The other one I was going to say, actually, and this is a bit sounds a bit weird, but like in Chronicles of Riddick, I'm sure Judy Dench does the opening voiceover. It's quite iconic voice as well. One. And then the yeah, other one, really people can slag it off because we talked about it last week. Anthony Hopkins in Rebel Moon, but like genuinely, he does have a very. Why is he? Why is he the voice of a robot? Why is he called Jimmy? Anyway, why is um, he called Jimmy? <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I love I love how trigger people were over that bit. Anyway, um, yeah. yeah, Anthony Hopkins has a very distinctive voice, and he's done many a voiceover. Mm. Good, yeah, yeah, good, yeah. and bad. Most annoying and voice he sells it. Uh, most annoying voice, probably John. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm joking. I, I, uh, John's I got a lovely disagree. voice. No, no, no. I um, do try really hard to make my installations more interesting these days, but. It, it comes and goes. I'm sorry. I, I think you've got you've got a good podcast voice. It's nice and deep. Mm. It's nice and deep and clear. I am um, uh, the only the most annoying voice I would say is probably Adam Sandler and Little Nicky. Those do my head in quite a bit. I was going to say either Jesse Eisenberg in. Um, oh God! Did you see the reel I sent you earlier? By the way, which is the guy doing the impersonation of Jesse Eisenberg and Michael yeah, Sarah sitting yeah. together trying to w- decide what to watch on Netflix. I it's I actually oh, hate. It's... Yeah, I actually hate Jesse Eisenberg's so, um, again. Like, kind I, of, I I think his performance in Social Network is fantastic. I I think it's one of my favourite things, and it's very. I know to get where he got to, it was a very Finch performance where he he got drilled into it. But I feel like he's stuck with that stick for a long time. 
Mm. I weirdly, I quite liked him as Lex Luthor. I thought he was completely unhinged, and I was here for it. Anyway, someone will tell me I've talking about Snyder, so I'll stop. Um, yeah. This yeah. Question, um, anyway, yeah. So I think, yeah, I think we uh, like. Well, we've we've talked quite a bit about singing the rain, and the 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 other just a little bit I would just like to mention is just the the part where that again they're transitioning to when they're transitioning to the talkie, and we've got uh, the microphone. God, Lena, Lena, why can't you remember her name? It's because Lena it's so similar. Lena Lamont. You're explaining the microphone. Um, He's like, this is the microphone. It's it's yeah. here in this plant. If you turn really away, funny, I can't hear you. And he's like, yeah. it goes through the cable and goes through yeah. And it's just like, watch. And again, it's, do you know what? The Margot Robbie scene is obviously the riff on that about like, yeah, of missing course, yeah. the marker, missing the, you know, being too loud for the audio, being this, being that. And it's really, really funny. And her, Lena Lamont's constant line, isn't it, is um, people think I'm dumb or something. Like that's, yeah, that's like it, her yeah. kind of rapport, like the thing yeah. she does over and over. Um, but yeah, it's it's a good sequence, and yeah. again, it's 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 nice seeing it in a PG. You, I think I think it's been <laughs> I think it's been expertly handled by. Um, but it's, I wouldn't say it's complete. I think I think the sequences, although obviously might be inspired by, they obviously are inspired by each other. Well, Babylon's inspired by Singing in the Rain. I think that it's different enough, and I think that. Um, Damien we, Chazelle we, we covered has... this extensively last week with inspiration. We are not going yeah. on retread. Massively, <laughs> massively inspired. But, yeah. Um, but anyway, the the colours used, I think the choreography oh, is so vibrant. It's beautiful, isn't it? Like it's 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 lots of primary colours, isn't it? And but then the, we've got this dreamlike sequence, about a thirteen minute sequence towards the end, where he's like imagining, and then it flicks back because she talks about the the producer says what's the end of the picture going to be like? And he talks mm. about... So when he said it's going to be about someone going from Broadway to Hollywood, I thought it was going to be about um, Kathy's journey. Right. Because, you know, Kathy said she started off in the theatre. I yeah. thought he was, like, doing it to romantically be like, oh, here's your amazing yeah. journey. It's just about him just dicking about for, like, 13 minutes <laughs> dancing around. Yeah. Oh. And, and with, like, three or four different women. One's a cigarette-smoking one. One's a ballet yeah. dancer in the sky. And then there's another one. And it just feels so like, the... to me, to be fair, yeah. like, if if I'm giving, like, constructive criticism to, like, one of the most acclaimed films of all time, it does feel a bit random. Like that, that sequence to me, in line with everything else, it's dreamlike, isn't it? It's, yeah, it's yeah. a dreamlike sequence. And it's, yeah, it's like the self in. It's a very self-indulgent sequence. However, I think so. Yeah, very much like La La Land. That yeah. last ten minutes is that right? Yeah, like, kind oh, no, hundred percent. Yeah, the, in the, a good the, way. The, the scene, the scene with the ballet way. dancer, by the way. So that scene with the she's ballet incredible. dancer. Can, yeah, she's she's amazing dancer. There is um, a weird jump cut in that ballet dancing scene where he kind of has her in this pose and it cuts very jarringly um, to a different pose. It's a really good fact, actually, in my opinion. Um, the reason that that was a jump cut was um, actually in the original negative. The original negative of this film was lost and it was lost uh. in a um, a big fire, like a, 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 a like a building <clears throat> block burnt down and it burnt loads of films, actually. It was quite famous. I don't know what, what it is at the top of my head, but the, so the original negative is lost. So we, we don't actually have any footage of, of that particular scene anymore. But the, the film that was shown in the theatres was this exact one that we watched. And it does this weird jump cut because apparently 
the 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 dance move that Gene Kelly performed with this woman was just a bit too risque too sexy. at the time. That's getting yeah, a bit too sexy. Ah. So yeah, what were you doing, eh, Gene? Elaborate. With the kind of like films going missing like that, it's crazy because I remember I've said to you a million times, but the cut of Spartacus we watch now is a fan's memory who had seen it multiple times because they lost all the like reels crazy. or whatever completely like beyond repair. So yeah. they had someone go through and find the original takes and all this stuff. And it just seems insane. And like the, one of the best things about digital is the preservation is just so much better. Like essentially when you're, when Jamie's watched countless videos on how they do it, but when they scan in for those remasters, they get the mm. 4k scan and they can preserve that for years to come. And it's great. Yeah. But yeah. So I, th- I think, are we, are we done on singing in the rain? I think we are. I, I Greatest just musical to say, of all time. Um, yeah, someone would probably, probably argue that Grease is, but no. I, the one no, for me, no, I was going to say potentially was West Side Story, and I'll tell you why. In my head, and this is the Robert Wise version, is I don't know if for me West Side Story, the numbers are a bit. It sounds stupid because it's still grown men dancing around and clicking their fingers in fifties <laughs> yeah. games, but it feels grittier. The story's more. It's Romeo and Juliet, right? It's got a bit more it weight is, yeah. to it. Well, Tale Whilst, of Two Cities, isn't it? Like, yeah, that kind of. It's it, it's more plot driven. While Singing in the Rain is essentially a really nice hour and forty minutes of people dancing around with a really minimal, me, yeah. minimal plot. Whilst West Side Story's got fantastic musical numbers embedded within a very similar story we've we've seen before. But yeah. that's that's. I would say, yeah, I would say we're singing in the rain that you could, you could, for me, when I watch it, it just makes me happy. And yeah. it, it, I could watch it in, like countless times. It makes me happy. It, it, it kind of like, in a way, like is really just what, what cinema, like you don't always need like this underlying, like crazy dark plot or something like that. Like no, something I'm, like this, yeah. this is like really, I think it's just for me, it's a it's the side of cinema that just I love so much. Like there's no cynicism there. It's really funny. Um, yeah, it's it's brilliant. Uh, the only other the only other musical I say that would that might rival it is High School Musical. I knew you were gonna say that. I mean, for it's it's High School Musical is the singing in the rain of our generation. <laughs> I mean, for, yeah, uh, yeah. And on that note, on that note, uh, Troy Zidin says, "How does a musical allow the filmmakers to tell the story differently to a regular movie?" So I think it depends on which musical. So let's use some modern examples. In La La Land, I think it's used in quite a restrained manner, which sounds crazy, yeah. but like it's not always the characters singing about how they're feeling. They will. There are numbers where that happens, but there's some just general. There's some general numbers. There's points in between where it's actually filmed almost almost like a documentary kind of style yeah. where it feels more realistic, which sounds a weird thing to say, but it's less au fait around it. Does that make sense? It's less kind mm. of... And Wonka's the same. It's kind of like... I want to say more in the real world, but it's definitely not in the real world. But this kind of like, it's trying to present a more natural outlook and then there just happens to be music within it. While Singing in the Rain is a world where musicals are an integral part and like at any point we could break into song. That for me is the difference. High School Musical has that vibe, like jokes aside, like at any point they will break into song because they're in a world yeah. where that's that's what they do. Um, yeah. Do you know what though? Um, there's uh, There's been some great musical episodes of TV shows like, Buffy the Vampire Slayer yeah. had the musical episode 
Star yeah, Trek yeah. Strange New World season two has one. And I initially was so like, what have Fuming, they done to yeah. my Star Trek? Like, this is, it's so good. <laughs> I'm obsessed. Okay. Like, it's so good. And there's a genuine, like, they've got enough of a plot reason for it to feel okay. Um, but again, in in those shorter TV episodes, they used it to yeah. express feeling and emotion, which is obviously what music does. But what, I, uh, yeah. what we're trying to get across in La La Land is in between, it feels more like a serious drama, which happens to have musical numbers in it. Whereas in the 40s, it was like, at any point you could get into a dance or, you know, that that for me is the difference, it feels like. Yeah. What, and, and we talked about in La La Land, the dancing and that, that happens, it is there, but it feels a more restrained style from... Yeah. And I don't know if that's ability or a creative choice or what yeah i would say it's probably a bit of both i I mean for me i would say that sometimes it allows the actual character for you to really see what they're feeling like uh, so in terms of that so so tick tick boom is a really good example of of, um, (laughs) yeah i got you there john um so tick tick boom like the way the we we talk about we've talked we've spoken about it probably about four or five times mm. we covered it on a previous episode so go back and listen to that um but the andrew garfield the 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 song uh, when he's sitting on the piano outside and actually it was about his 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 mum well it was to his mum who died or about her mm. i think in what a musical sometimes allows us to do is um one not be so serious all the time or be serious like so it allows us to like see have a just a completely light-hearted approach about yeah some dark things um but also as well it, it allows a character to sing about how they're feeling without kind of narrating it do you know what i mean like it's kind of a, a cheeky way sing, in, don't, like, sing a, don't sing don't tell well a bit well it's kind of like getting rid of the voiceover aspect yeah. or internal uh, so, um yeah. the tick tick boom one I, th- I thought was really good and i remember that that's film's got music from what he's writing a musical in it so it's included within which is kind of like in singing in the rain they're going to make a music film about film it it, it kind of goes with that thing so yeah yeah and i mean we've got we've just got one last question which it might be a quick one actually well it will be from my point of view um unfortunately um and that is watch with beck she writes in and says friend of the show by the way hello Uh, and she says have you seen the artist from 2011 and if you have how do you think it measures up to Singing in the Rain and Babylon? I personally love the artist. Well, 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 well. Hold the on. collection? Yeah, it is. It is in the collection. And do you know what happened? Let me tell you something about the artist, right? Oof. Seven BAFTAs. Of winner Seven BAFTAs. Best film. Sorry, I'm all over the place. I'm doing, I'm doing what Lenny Leroy does in the, in the microphone uh, <laughs> scene. Um, winner of five Oscars, including Best Picture. Let me tell you something about this film. Um, now it's black and white and I was like, this is going to be great. And then I didn't realize I probably watched about, this is a really horror. I'm so sorry. I probably put it on for about half an hour and I was like, nah, I I didn't, I didn't realize it was a silent film. So the artist is a silent film. I didn't realize had I known it was a silent film going into it, I would have been okay with it, but I just wasn't in the mood for it. And I haven't revisited it since. Um, I've since watched. I've got seen it, so maybe we could watch it together. Maybe we could. Maybe we could watch it together. It's a little PG. Um, yeah. Well, I'm not sure so, if it's PG. So, so there we go. Um, yeah, so I do feel a bit bad about that. So Beck, it's only 100 minutes. Well, I say 100 minutes. That's quite long for a silent film. Um, I have recently watched uh, Safety Last, which is superb. Anyway, 
Uh, I remember I early that... on when we did this pod and Jamie was really proud and was like, we're going to do M. And I was there slagging it off being like, oh, you can tell they didn't have enough budget because they only used sound for half the scenes. And then Jamie took, the, and Jamie was like really offended. And then it's actually true. That is why they only had half the, half the tour yeah. of the scenes. Anyway, that was Fritz. Sorry, that's so, so M, early on. Yeah, M from the 1930s is Fritz Lang's first ever talkie. So there you go. How about them apples, John? I think John, it was linked to seven. It was linked to seven, yeah. Probably it was episode second, two, maybe. Episode two it was, yeah. Um, John, have Sorry. you got any any anything to... Oh, right, cool. So, quick one then. Um, so, uh, this Sunday we're going to see... We've got a press screening of Zone of Interest. Yes. Which um, I'm very, very excited about. So, that is... Uh, we'll, be, we'll be covering the, that on the next pod. Um, so, yeah, Zone of Interest. Might even put our quick uh, thoughts up on YouTube. Um, to give a little short. Um, so yeah, Zone of Interest, it's uh, it's about the commandment of Auschwitz. Um, it's about, uh, yeah, they, it's, I, I imagine it's going to be pretty grim. So um, we've also got a screening of American Fiction coming up. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll t- we can tell you more about that when it's, when it's, yeah, when we're fully confirmed. But um, yeah, we, 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 we should be working with, um, someone else for a little bit not for a little bit like we're still going to be releasing reducing uh, producing episodes so as normal you're going to get your same old stuff we will not be paid off no one will no, we will not be we will say whatever we want forever we will not be paid we will not be silenced <laughs> john riverside <laughs> yeah uh where can they find you at jcv.video oh he's and i'll tell you what as well He's doing some good stuff at the moment, like really good stuff. He, he's he's got some stuff um, on his Instagram, and hopefully we'll be uploading to YouTube as well about behind behind the scenes. What what he, John's a videographer, so what he does in shoots, how he shoots things. So you learn quite a lot about like gimbal shots, ninja walks. Um, Cinematography breakdown of the gym shoot essentially was the last one, which yeah has weirdly interested people. Breakdown, I thought it's quite good. For you. I, yeah, how's that going, by the way? Yeah, is it going well? Yeah, it's done. It's done really well today. But um... oh, we'll talk about that after. When we're <laughs> off there. But um, yeah. I would uh, no, 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 no. Like uh, yeah, the um, the only thing I would yeah, what I would say is that I, I can imagine the the people out there that would like to become a videographer or or are interested in this kind of thing would really probably gain a lot from watching that. Um, yeah, so so you can hire him. He's big time, baby. Um, do you know what I haven't done in a while, by the way? You need to go and find us on Spotify and uh, on yeah. iTunes and uh, find us movies in a pod show. Rate us five stars because we only accept five stars. And I haven't said that for a few episodes, but we do. We only accept five stars. Um, so go and rate us. Um, it really helps us go to the top of the feed when someone types in Star Wars, for example. Please also check out on YouTube. Like, subscribe, hit the bell. Yeah. Click, no, click, touch the... Touch that bell. No, genuinely, if you if you could like and subscribe, that would be incredible. And also yeah. tell your friends because that's how people find us. Yeah, touch the bell and then get notified. Um, you can find me at Movies in a Podshell on Instagram. You can find us on YouTube, Movies in a Podshell. Movies in a Podshell everywhere. We're even on X, but we don't really go on there much because uh, it's a cesspit. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, uh, we'll be back next time probably talking about uh, Zone of Interest mm-hmm. briefly, but we'll probably have a themed episode because... Um, yeah, we do. I don't, well, I don't know why. Anyway, we're, we're probably time to go in it, John. Yeah, bye. See you.